Life's so full on. I've been working on this deck for ages. These steaks don't cook themselves, you know. Life's good with a Trex deck. Composite decking made from 95% recycled materials that won't rot, stain or fade. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Here's some tips for maintaining your Trex deck. Um, occasionally wash it with some soapy water or a pressure cleaner. Trex composite decking is low maintenance and won't fade, splinter or warp. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Morena, New Zealand, good morning to you. It's 9.03 here on SENZ. Uh, the mornings with Ian Smith through to midday. Uh, we've got uh, a nice little show lined up for you today, I can tell you. Rugby, cricket, uh, rugby again. Then we've uh, got some racing. I've got a panel in between times with Guy Havelt and Hugh Bainon. Uh, and then some football and some trotting right towards the end of it. A stump by Smithy. Uh, plenty to keep you entertained in the next three hours. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, back in 2016, it was San Francisco 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick who took a knee during the national anthem as his personal protest of police brutality and racial inequality. It somewhat divided the nation, if you remember. The then-President Donald Trump remarked anyone who protested during the anthem should be sacked. Kaepernick was. He hasn't had a football contract in the last five years. Now, in 2021, Quinton de Kock has refused to take a knee, as instructed by his government to do so, in support of the Black Lives Matter movement and or racial inequality in the Republic. We shall see, but it appears he too will be sacked, although that is not completely certain. We don't know why de Kock took his stance, but it could well be he was not prepared to be instructed by his government as to his principles. Maybe more his support for his freedom of choice, his right to express, or to not. His career for South Africa spans thus far nearly 10 years, 53 test matches, 124 one-day internationals and 58 T20s. He is a highly regarded player in the game, a must-pick until now in every South African side. He shared dressing rooms and played alongside men of colour in every single one of his appearances. Some might argue if he had such strong views on racism, he might not have done that during his glittering career. Since then, articles too have surfaced about how he improves the lives and experience of black peoples and people around him uh, for many years during his career as well. Uh, not made public that by the government. This is such a divisive and emotive issue. It runs very deep, but when it hits the surface like this, we tend to walk on very brittle eggshells. Ask yourself this question, would you take a knee in support of the abolishment of racism? Yes, you probably would, wouldn't you? Uh, that's my belief and my stance. But would you take the same knee because someone stood over you and demanded you absolutely must or else? Maybe not so willingly. And that is human nature. I don't know if that's the issue here. I don't live in Quinton de Kock's head. This Saturday, South Africa plays Sri Lanka in the T20 World Cup. The cock won't be there. That is my prediction. You know, it used to be, you know, it used to be that going down on one knee was to ask your darling to marry you. And that never, ever caused any arguments, did it?
Okay, 906 here on SENZ. Just trying to get through to uh, Xavier Rush uh, in the UK. Of course, he's based in Cardiff at the moment, has been for perhaps the last 20 years um, as he went over there to, to play for Cardiff. Uh, played a lot of games for them. Uh, and then, of course, um, he's decided to stay there. And uh, my understanding is he set himself up in a nice little uh, hair res- transplant business, which is uh, interesting. We can ask him about that when he uh, finally picks up. I'm going to talk to Grant Elliott as well uh, on that subject that I just mentioned. Uh, Quinton de Kock, he might have, uh, being South African born, of course, he will have some uh, views uh, closer to us on the whole issue, I'm sure. But uh, also we'll talk about the, the Black Caps on what he saw and commentated on the other night. What changes would he make, if any? Um, you know, what about the uh, injury to Ferguson, replacement of Milne, all those sorts of things. So uh, we're going to talk about that. But overnight, England uh, looked really good. I, I didn't rate England going into this T20 World Cup. I've got to say, I didn't, didn't put them down as one of my serious candidates. But I am now. Uh, they look very, very good after knocking over the West Indies in no time at all uh, the other day. Uh, they restricted Bangladesh to 124 for nine and uh, one with basically six overs to spare. And in T20 cricket, that is nothing short of a hiding. Uh, impressive too, Namibia held their nerve to beat Scotland by four wickets. This is a very famous victory for the N- Namibia. Uh, we've seen Namibia on the fringes of Rugby World Cups over the years, and they've been on the receiving end. Well, uh, it seems that their cricket is on the way up. Uh, Scotland would have been favourites to beat them, but no. Uh, Namibia uh, were able to get over, over the top of them. At one stage, uh, Scotland were three wickets down for two runs. You don't recover from that too easily. And the other news coming through, John, uh, which has been um, it's something that we've been talking about is uh, the, the 12s, of course, and all of a sudden uh, World Rugby has d- decided that uh, the 12s competition planned for next year uh, probably won't happen. The World 12s was launched in September. Remember Steve Hansen, Steve Chu, uh, standing proud to say this will happen. Uh, we're right behind it, uh, and we want it to happen as early as uh, August next year, and we will be playing it in the United Kingdom. Well, the World... Uh, body have, have basically poo-pooed that. Uh, the organisers pledged to generate uh, £250 million pounds of income to the game, but uh, they just simply find uh, that they can't find a window yet, and uh, at the moment, uh, that is a unanimous position of uh, the Executive Committee and the Professional Game Committee, which includes representatives from across the elite men's and women's game. So John, it appears that uh, the 12s uh, is on a big hold at this stage, and uh, it won't be next year. Yeah, and fair enough. Um, you know, I, I don't mind World Rugby on this if they sort out the global calendar. Like, that's their reason here. They're like, we've got bigger things to sort out in rugby, and that's a global calendar. Remember these 12 Smithy wanted to happen in August, which is right at the start of the rugby championship. So it's, it's not an easy kind of fit into the rugby calendar. But what we need is World Rugby to finally make a global calendar so it's not years between uh, the All Blacks playing England. You know, like... What was it like when we faced them at the World Cup? I think before that was was it something like 2014 or something? There was like five years since we'd played England. Like we want a global calendar where the top teams play each other with their best players on board. Like Wales not having their best players this weekend has almost ruined the contest, hasn't it? So World Rugby, I agree with them here. They've got bigger things to focus on, but how long have we heard this, Smithy? Steve Hansen's been driving this thing for so long, for about a decade, trying to get a global calendar and it just doesn't seem like ever occurring. So if they're going to say, hey, no 12s, we need a global calendar, they better bloody do it this time, Smithy. Okay, well, very uh, vociferous views there from you, John. I, I, I think it's fair to say. And uh, 
Uh, I, I totally agree with you, but I, I'll go back to the model that they're using here, the IPL. I would imagine at one stage there, I can't really remember uh, openly, but behind the scenes, the ICC would have said no initially to the IPL being such a strong thing in a competition. And then, of course, the powers that be, basically Indian cricket, stepped in and said, oh, yes, it will. It will happen. Don't worry about that. And it did. And now, of course, uh, not only is it a window in the calendar, it's the one that they pretty much base everything else around. So that's how quickly things can change in that regard. And the key to this, the key to this for me, uh, is uh, the players. The players will determine this over a period of time, and the players' associations will determine this over a period of time. Uh, not the world rugby, because the world rugby's greatest asset is not the game, it's the players playing it. And in the end, they'll, they'll make that decision, John, I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and we've seen just how strong they are, the Players Association, haven't we, here in New Zealand where it comes to the Silver Lake deal. That was all but across the line. I think NZR and all the bosses there were just getting their hands ready to grab that money until the Players Association came in and said, hold on a second, the players aren't that keen on this. So they do hold a lot of power in the game, Smithy. What's the public appetite as well? That'll hold a lot of sway, won't it? Do people want to see an IPL style of rugby, 12s? You know, it's a style of rugby no one's seen before. We've had 10s, we've had 7s, we've had 15s, obviously, um, which is struggling for a bit of traction. Um, so do people want 12s? Do people want an IPL-style rugby event that goes for three weekends where players just get a lot of money with these franchises that, I don't know, will they have a lot of attachment to them? Will you go and buy a, you know, a 12s jersey supporting your, your local team? Yeah, I don't know. Will it catch on with the public? That's probably another thing we need to uh, focus on. Well, they're taking it to a bigger market than New Zealand. Um, wisely, they're taking it to a, the most populous rugby market, probably, and that's in Europe. Uh, so, uh, you know, if it's going to work, it's going to work there. There's no doubt about it. And they are, of course, English people. Uh, if you look at their football model, uh, they do buy shirts. They do go to games. They do get attached to franchises. So if that was the case in rugby, I can see it working. They need to have the right players playing the game. They have to have the big-name players uh, putting their name to it. And the big-name players will, because the big-name players will get a hell of a lot of money to do just that, um, particularly those that are getting towards the end of their career. Um, that is, that's the, you know, this, we're talking professionalism here. We're talking about a very professional competition where a lot of people are going to get very rich very, very quickly, just as in the IPL. And, and I take you know, Kyle Jamison's uh, case in this. $2.68 million? $2.68 million? You tell me a rugby player anywhere, anywhere around the world that isn't going to fight like hell to make sure that happens in his bank balance. Yeah. Just crazy. Yeah. Absolutely I crazy. guess we just don't want a club and country conflict here. I mean, we've seen with, uh, I guess, with the Wallabies at the moment, they've got three players who are just pulled out of a tour uh, because they want to commit to their clubs who pay them the most money, you know? And so international rugby's kind of already faltering in terms of the club versus country here in New Zealand we don't pick anyone outside of New Zealand so we don't have that problem will it create problems like that Smithy I mean they've had to make a window in cricket for the IPL so that they don't choose uh, their IPL team over their country so there's all these things I guess that need to be explored and August next year isn't far away for mm. when they wanted to no. launch this World 12 so I think it was too hard basket for now I don't think they're waving the white flag yet, Steve Hansen, Steve Chu and, and Kieran Reid and co, uh, because they think it will work and they think it will add excitement to rugby and players will get paid more and maybe it will benefit international rugby. I wonder what people think out there, Smithy, this morning yeah. about this issue. 8833 is our text number and uh, you've got just two days now to get in the draw for 
a temper pillow worth $299, or a $10,000 package, which will be revealed um, tomorrow. John, will we be re- revealing it tomorrow, late in the show tomorrow? Yep. $10,000 winner, uh, and that is of a queen mattress, a queen adjustable base, two temper pillows. Yes, $10,000 worth our biggest reveal, our biggest prize we'll be giving away on this show, and that is uh, tomorrow morning. So you've got... Two days, and this is quite an emotive issue and quite a good one that you can get in on. Uh, would you even support? Would you both be bothered supporting the 12s? Does it interest you at all? Can you see it happening? Um, you know, uh, and on based on, on what I've been saying uh, on the model of the IPL, um, people thought that wouldn't take off. You put it in the right population area and you get the right level of support, it becomes so powerful, it almost governs the game. So uh, do you ha- feel that uh, the 12s could happen in rugby? Or are the clubs too powerful? Do the clubs hold sway here uh, rather than some possible new franchises? Money will talk. That's our theory here uh, on SENZ. Love to hear yours. Of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, we haven't been able to get through to Xavier Rush, which is a shame because we wanted to get his feel on uh, what uh, the mood is in Cardiff at the moment. Sellout crowd at the weekend for the All Blacks against uh, what appears to be will be quite an understrength Welsh well side. So uh, we wanted to get his, his take on that, but uh, we just can't get that line through at the moment. So that's unfortunate. But we do have a line through to uh, Joe. Good morning to you, Joe. Uh, what's on your mind? Morning, Smithy. Mate, I was just listening from this morning with uh, Baz and Izzy going on about the IPL funding and the $2.4 billion they're putting up for these new franchises. I just think you're, uh, you're looking at two different, two different worlds when you're trying to talk rugby against cricket. I think the 12s, the 12s are no good. We're struggling in New Zealand just for club players. Here in Gisborne, we've only got five prem teams, you know, and they barely make teams up due to things of going to work. And then Poverty Bay is another one, East Coast. We've got barely enough players in New Zealand actually have competitive rugby. You know, we have 180 players who play super rugby, get taken out of the local market, and then once they're not going to make the ABs, you're just breeding. It's a breeding ground for overseas draft. And off they go and make their real money. And the club power in Europe is so strong that the All Black brand is actually, it's actually been diluted by us having to go up there and play, play for pennies, really. But uh, when, when you look at the IPL against rugby, different world, you know. 1.2 billion people in uh, India, and they've got one sport to follow. Yeah, yeah we're, we're only competitive not... in 11 countries, mate, as rugby. I, 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 get you, I get you just. I, I get where you're coming from. And I was a doubter uh, when the IPL first started. I was a doubter because um, I, I knew it would go ahead, but I, I doubted the, the reasons behind it. Um, and, and, you know, it doesn't matter. My doubts don't matter. And, and, of course, in the end, it, no one's doubts mattered because um, money spoken, as you say, the population grab is, is a lot easier to please over there. Uh, I don't see this going away in a hurry, though, Joe. You know, there's some big boys put some big money names to this with enough money that is substantial in the rugby world as opposed to the cricket world. And I know what you're saying about two worlds, but I just don't see this dying a very quick death. I, I think uh, we'll hear more about it. What's your view on that? Yeah, I definitely think so, because the big sports channels, you know, the Sky Sports and the ESPNs, who, with the Americans maybe coming up and taking up the rugby game, they did when the Olympics came out, they want content. And a lot of these streaming services want content. So if, if they do say, right, we can chuck 
100 million, 200 million at this game. It'll fill X amount of hours on our screens. I just don't think it's going to grow the sport, right? You're going to have the same players going round and round and round. Okay, so uh, let's look at, at your area you mentioned, um, Poverty Bay. Uh, so where, what are the kids doing? Uh, are they leaving town or are they turning their back on, on rugby? Uh, um, you know, are they doing other things? They're turning their back on rugby. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The fastest growing sport in Gisborne for, for men, for, for young boys, is hockey. You know, we've got a new hockey pitch. Took them 10 years, mate. 10 years to fundraise 1.2 million, put in an artificial turf, and guess what? It's used seven days a week. Every single league, you know, young kids are coming through the plane. And it's a sport that, one, they don't have to go up against bigger kids. Two, there's a lot less injuries. And now three, it's a sport you can play with your family. You know, you play with your parents who are, who are hockey players. And that's where it's going, you know. There's, uh, rugby league has died off here. As a, as a sport, you have 12 teams when we grew up. That's gone. Absolutely gone. There's three teams left. You know, rugby, rugby's the same. Yeah, it's all, all right at the youth level. But when they come through, and there's very few rugby players playing now, and one of the biggest things is work commitments has put a lot of people, cost of living, you know, when you play club rugby for love, and even you had one of the coaches on from the, uh, from the Heartland this morning. Yeah, he's the same. Mm. It's work, family, rugby comes third, mate. Yeah. I've always been a believer of seven-day trading. I always thought that, when we brought seven-day trading to this country, full-on shopping and, and retail on, on Sunday, I, I always thought sports were going to suffer because of that because particularly at youth level and, and junior level, mums and dads were the people that used to car- encourage the kids. They used to go and watch. They used to be interested. And now, of course, they don't even do that. Um, so the, the kids ha- have uh, sometimes got no way to get there. Uh, other times they've uh, got, certainly got no interest from home on how they went or you know enjoyment practice is another issue. And, Seven-day-a-week trading, I, I don't think we at any stage could uh, survive that with our population growth, but that, maybe that was just a theory I had. It, uh, it, it just it concerns me, and we've been doing, uh, since we've had a show, Joe, uh, going on this uh, program, we've always, always been looking into the background of most sports, actually, and very few are growing. Uh, that's the problem. Very few are growing. I think, I, I think you're dead right there, Smithy, because we grew up, you know. There were 24 cricket teams here on a, on a Saturday and Sunday. You know, Harry Barker, you've maybe have played there in your in your yeah. early days. You know, you, you used to have you know eight eight games going on a Saturday. You know, that's sixteen teams, and it was brilliant. The clubhouse was full. Uh, we got coached by Lance Cairns, you know, in our first eleven when we were kids, yeah. and then he he drew yeah. a lot lot of publicity to cricket when he was here. Now, five cricket teams here. That's it, five. Yeah. So, and you take out the schoolboys, you know, and then guess what? You got three. So yeah. it's tough in, in, in little provinces like ours. Hawke's Bay is probably a little bit better. You know, you've probably got a dozen good, good rugby teams there. And, you know, places like Waikato, uh, Otago, they've got all the students. They mainly last that three- or four-year cycle. And then they either go get a job in the city and they go away from the sport, you know? So I think, I think we're, we're hurting with rugby in New Zealand. And I think these, yeah, it's great having these big dreams of having multi-million dollar investments overseas. But it's all overseas, mate. We can't fill stadiums with super rugby, let alone provincial rugby. You know, and it's great. I think we missed the boat with their VC investment. You know, I think uh, I think that was going to trickle down to grassroots. It was all signed off by all the unions at grassroots, and the players stepped in, right? But you know, in the end, it's got to come down to grassroots, and you know, so we can have enough players to go off to the twelves and grow those players, but have enough to stay home.
Well, Joe, I, I really thank you for your call. I appreciate your sentiments, and I, I agree pretty much wholeheartedly with all of them, to be fair, mate. So thanks very much for your call. Um, uh, love, I love Gisborne. It's a great part of the world. So let, let's just hope there may be at some point a turnaround uh, in that particular market and uh, kids can go back to rugby in particular. But uh, it's just another illustration too, just by the by on player power. Uh, and as I say, uh, if the money is enough, the money is enough, Joe and everybody. Uh, Sam from Manawatu's come in and said, I agree with Joe. We need to get uh, global rugby sorted first. Um, and uh, Jordan's come in with probably uh, the most pertinent. In two lines, he sums it up. Money talks, players will walk. Simple as that. Uh, so, John, there's, there's a bit of feeling out there. Um, Brendan has come in and said the 12s comp would be hard to get into, I think. The IPL was a success. But the main reason it's being played in and near India, who's cricket mad, and had the support of both fans and financial support. Dead right, Brendan. The rugby wouldn't be big over here due to time difference. It's not in our backyard. And over there, Europe's uh, UK market is much more devoted to football, soccer. Never say never, uh, though money talks these days. And, and it's, um, it's pretty obvious. It's pretty obvious that um, there's almost a resignment that it'll happen, I think. Uh, but when is the thing? Uh, hi, Smithy. I'm pleased the Rugby 12's idea has been sidelined for now. Uh, rugby has 15s and 7s. Do we really need another form of the game? Sometimes less is more. I would rather see high-quality rugby, which right now world rugby can't supply. The All Blacks test against Wales is a great example. We would rather, rather see a full-strength Wales play. If 12s is implemented, I think test matches in the future will suffer with the unavailability, unavailability of more players. Now, uh, I speak to uh, when I was uh, commentating cricket in the air and we commentated with some guys who are very heavily involved as players or commentators uh, in the IPL, i.e. Simon Dole, uh, i.e. Scott Styrus. Uh, Brendan McCullum will probably uh, endorse it at some point as well. Um, that uh, The game can't, you're dead right, the game of cricket cannot survive in all these forms if they keep adding to it. Uh, it just won't. Uh, and therefore they are firm believers that the future of, of cricket and the years ahead is not test cricket. Sadly, it's not test cricket. And whilst we salute the fact that we've got the best test nation in the world, um, a lot of people don't really think that matters. A lot of people in the cricketing world think T20 cricket, white ball cricket, is going to be the future of the game. Sad, but true. Sad, but true. Hey, thanks for your uh, call, Joe. Thanks for your feedback already on this issue. Keep it coming in. Double eight, double three. Uh, temper uh, pillows and temper prizes up for grabs and we'd love uh, that big removal truck to front up your driveway and drop off that $10,000 package. Simple as that. Uh, coming up to the 9.30 news with Trudy. Well, we've been commentating ball-by-ball action of the New Zealand effort so far in the T20 World Cup across in the UAE. And uh, one of the components of that, of course, is uh, former Black Cap Grant Elliott. Alongside Daniel McCarty, they're bringing us uh, some terrific commentary and some great atmosphere towards uh, the end of that thrilling encounter against uh, Pakistan the other day where New Zealand uh, ended up coming second. But still, uh, they'll be on deck again when they play India uh, on Monday, and that is all of a sudden a massive game in the context of things. Uh, and uh, Grant Elliott's joined us now, which is great. Uh, very busy on the, sh- on the station. Um, Grant, uh, first of all, 
Um, yeah, we were close, but I, I got the feeling that um, Pakistan sort of had it pretty much under control and, uh, with about four overs to go. Shaab Malik's been around a long time, hasn't he? Yeah, morning, Smithy. Great to be on the show. Um, yeah, I, it was an early start for me and uh, Daniel McCarty, but exciting to, to watch Pakistan versus New Zealand. And obviously, after Rami's Raja, the chairman's uh, uh, words, of encouragement against New Zealand when we uh, um, when we uh, left the tour of Pakistan, so they were pretty motivated. But we we sort of felt like a score on that wicket. It was a tough batting wicket, and when you see someone like Barbara Azam and Kane Williamson just sort of struggle to really get any timing and any really fluency into their innings, then you know it is a tough surface. So 140 was kind of like a par score. We reckon we were slightly mm. under that, so we had to bowl well. Uh, we bowled well in the, the front six, didn't manage to get enough wickets. Um, Pakistan with uh, 12 runs behind us in that first six overs. So they started really slowly, which could have actually come back to bite them, especially when they lost those wickets in succession through the middle. But as you said, Shab Malik, um, you know, we looked at Hafiz, age 41, Shab Malik, age 39, in that team. And everyone says that you know, T20 is a game for, for youngsters. But when you've got experienced heads in tough situations and pressurised situations, they came through. Hafiz had a six off his first delivery um, and was playing with a lot of freedom. He only got 11, but in the context of the game, it was 11 off, you know, seven balls. And then Shaab Malik, uh, that, that over of Mitchell Satner, he sensed that that was the, the moment for him to go. His strength is playing spin. And, you know, hit a, a flurry of, of boundaries and that buried New Zealand. Uh, let's, let's look at um, uh, what New Zealand did uh, with their batting order because I, I raised a couple of uh, eyebrows. I, I, I scratched my head on a couple of things. I was quite surprised. I wasn't openly surprised that Mitchell opened the batting because they'd used that in warm-up games. I was a little disappointed that he did. I, I, I kind of think Conway's ideally suited and I like the right-hand-left-hand combination at the top. Uh, but Jimmy Nishan walked out at four. I was really surprised at that. Yeah, I, I mean, like you, Smithy, I was extremely um, surprised at the whole batting order, if I'm honest. Um, I think, you know, they did trial Mitchell um, and Slice, but I think had a go in, in the warm-up games to open. Um, but when you look at that order, you, I do fancy a left, left-hand, right-hand combination, and we know that Charger was going to be low. We know it was going to be slow. And I think that that suits the batting of Williamson and Conway. They're both probably our best players of spin. So you want to give them as many balls as, as you possibly can. And actually, Williamson and Conway that were the only ones to actually get themselves in um, in the innings and, and get over 20. Um, so, or Mitchell did as well at, at the start. But, yeah, it, it almost felt like there wasn't really that consistency that we've always seen with the Black Caps team. Um, Williamson at three was fine, but yeah, Nisham coming in at four, perhaps that was to negate Shadab Khan, but then, you know, they brought on Hafiz, and that is a luxury that we don't have at the moment, is that off-spin option. And when I look at successful teams in subcontinent condition, left-hander comes in, off-spinner comes on to take the ball away from them. We do have Glenn Phillips um, and Kane that could bowl, but um, they, they sort of, I guess, only when we really sort of are, are struggling and, and need them. Um, so it will be very interesting to see how Gary Stead looks to um, create this batting order and some consistency 
for the tournament because I think a consistent lineup creates consistent um, results in T20 cricket. Um, and perhaps the injury to Ferguson, maybe that changed mm. things a bit and they thought, well, let's play the extra batter. Um, there's no reason why Conway can't take the gloves as well. Um, and you play Milne in that position now. Um, so maybe having Tim Seifert there changed things around a bit. But, yeah, I, it, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. Who's looking good for you in the comp on what you've seen so far? I mean, England have surprised me, very comfortable. Uh, Pakistan look absolutely fantastic. But uh, who else, who's impressed you? Um, well, obviously going into the competition, I thought, well, India and England are going to be the, the two teams. Uh, West Indies, unfortunately, have been pretty underwhelming. Uh, and they've come with the, the you know the big tag of, of of being world winners. I think have they won it two or three times, um, and that, they've got a lot of power. But I think what we're seeing on these wickets is that they're low scoring games. They're not very high scoring games. So that means that you need batsmanship. You don't just need guys that will go in there and bully it. And I think England for me look like the most complete team. Um, I don't want to say India at this stage. India. They, we know how good they are, but I would love to say that we're going to beat India. Um, I really do hope we can pull that one over them because, I mean, that would be a huge upset. Imagine India being knocked out um, of mm. going into the semis. So heading into it, England and India, but obviously with the, the loss to Pakistan, you'd have to wonder how, how India are going to go. And um, Yeah, for me, it's England at the moment. They're the informed team. Okay, well, that was uh, one I, as I said, I didn't really forecast that. I, uh, and now, of course, um, because of the, the, the draw, uh, the fact that we've got a lot of minnows to come uh, towards the end of our section, uh, the problem is uh, it could be pretty much all over for us if we don't get up, and that would be very, very um, disappointing. Uh, but this game, this game, um, and, the, and it matters so much to India as well, is is bigger than I thought. It's like a playoff game, and it's only the second one in the comp for us. <laughs> I know. That, that's the thing with the World Cups. I reckon every game, you know that it's got a bit of an edge on it. Now, Pakistan, they'll feel like they're a little bit com- uh, feeling comfortable, but, you know, they've got Afghanistan next. And I, I think if there's going to be a few upsets in this World T20. I mean, we've seen in the past, we've seen the Netherlands beat England, you know, in an opener at Lords. Um, now, and I think Afghanistan, if there's going to be an upset, it's going to be them. They got 190 against Scotland and then bowled them out to 60. You know, Rashid Khan and uh, Mujib at the top of the, 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 the bowling attack there. I mean, Rashid Khan delivered four for nine and uh, Mujib was five for, for 20. So um, they're going to be tough. And if they find conditions like New Zealand faced the other day in Sharjah, um, there could be a few upsets. So... It's not over yet, but you're right. India is a massive game, and that's one to wake up for and, and listen to uh, SENZ. Okay, um, can we just touch on another issue that uh, has raised its bloody ugly head, I've got to say, and this is the Quinton de Kock issue, and of course you're from South Africa. Uh, you probably have a lot of friends, uh, still uh, colleagues over there, who would have views on this and would be dismayed about the fact that Quinton de Kock, it appears, may have finished in terms of his career South African cricket. Uh, this uh, is not a good look. Uh, I, I guess it's a massive issue around the world. But what, what, what's, uh, what's your take on it, and where do you see it ending? Yeah, I, 
I'm not too sure the reasons why, and I don't think we know that yet from Quinton de Kock. Um, and maybe he's taking a stance on the board getting involved and telling the players what to do. Um, I, don't, I mean, yes, taking a knee, I think, you know, is the right thing to do, but it's a player's choice at the end of the day. Um, and it doesn't mean that you're, you're against it. Maybe, you know, I, my feeling is, and Dan McCarty always contests this with me, is I don't think that there's any room for politics in sport. Um, you know, you go and play the game and you play it, it should unite nations and not tear them apart. And something like this now is potentially tearing nations apart and teams apart. Um, mm. Until we know the reason why the cock has done it, I don't think that, you know, anyone should judge anyone for the decisions that they they take in, in sport. Um, and it, it's unfortunate because I think, you know, South Africa is a great sporting nation, um, but they tend to overcomplicate things a lot when they get to world tournaments. And it takes away uh, from, from the sport that you're actually playing. Uh, you've got the ability to, um, you know, uh, help grow cultures and communities through sports. So I understand that those messages need to be there. But players are also there for the game of cricket. So I guess watch this space. It looks ugly at the moment and it doesn't look good. Mm. And it'll be a shame for, for cricket and, and South Africa and, and Quinton de Kock uh, if we see him go. Um, yeah. But yeah, once again, controversy surrounding South Africa and, and um, the colour side of things. Well, it's, and, and you say, and you, you know, I, I support your theory about politics and sport, but it's almost unavoidable. Um, and these days, I, I think I think Daniel McCarty's right. I don't think you can uh, you can kick it out. I mean, it's too deeply ensconced politics and sport now. And, and of course, in South Africa, um, they have in most of their sports um, they have the quota system grant, don't they? Which um, has been in for quite some time now. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's one of those things that it's not really spoken about, but it's kind of there, and it's um, it's almost legislation. I think. You know, in many ways, um, the government wants to see the, the South African team represent the demographics of the country. And we know that that's, you know, primarily um, a, a country of colour. So I understand that, and uh, you know, growing up, you want to look at your sports stars and you want that to resonate with you and, and have a dream of playing for your country, which wasn't there during apartheid for anyone that was um, of colour. So I understand mm. that, but... At the same time, I think that there must be frustrated players that maybe feel like they deserve a place in the team, and uh, that's probably why we, we've seen a huge exodus of, of South African players as well, as maybe they don't feel like they're getting um, a fair go. So I don't know where the quota system sits now, but there's players like uh, Rabada and uh, Bavuma, who are fantastic players coming through the system, and it's great to see South Africa growing players of colour. Um, yeah, there, there is definitely the undercurrent of, um, you know, players feeling a little bit hard done by, by the system and the system letting themselves down. And when that ends and when it's just, you know, um, there is no uh, quota um, within the cricketing landscape of South Africa, who will know? I mean, it's been 27 years since uh, apartheid finished now. And that's another thing that I guess um, it, it takes, uh, the shine of the sport, I think, in a, a lot of ways for mm. some people um, and becomes more political and not about hitting a leather ball around a field. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right.
And when you talk about leather ball around the field, you're uh, also grant including rugby as well. So, hey, look, um, thanks very much um, uh, for your thoughts this morning on, on all those matters. Uh, and look forward to your commentary along with Daniel um, for this uh, Black Caps India match. I, I actually can't wait. I, I think it's probably the match of the tournament for us all of a sudden. So, uh, look forward to it, mate. Thank you. Uh, thanks a lot, Smitty. Always nice getting in the show. Cheers. Uh, Grant Elliott there, folks, with some very honest views on it, uh, being brought up in South Africa, of course, and still because uh, of his upbringing, his heritage, very interested in the situation. But you can tell, too, um, you know, it's a very delicate situation and um, it's not one that um, you can be too outspoken on um, without knowing the facts. And we don't we don't know the facts at this point. Uh, Quinton de Kock, uh, of course, will be... Uh, um, it'll be in, he's still in the squad as we understand uh, and they play uh, at the weekend I think the 30th is the next game for South Africa I doubt very much whether he'll be in the playing 11 uh, we'll just have to wait and see whether there's been some sort of resolution there I hope so, I hope so he's a hell of a player uh, and I do believe South Africa will need him if they want to win it uh, any time we, uh, we talk about uh, the ICC Men's T20 World Cup of course um, uh, we also thank Razine for their support uh, of course, the most trusted paint brand for the past 10 years in New Zealand. And also PIC Insurance Brokers. They are your marine specialists. It's uh, 9.46 here on SENZ. You're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Quite a lot of uh, text in on that rugby subject about the 12s being put on hold by World Rugby Authorities. Uh, and uh, why not get the 12s uh, up and running, says uh, one texter. Maybe it will attract more kids playing rugby. And just like the IPL model created so many similar leagues all around the world, maybe uh, there will be more 12s tournaments all around the world and more players will get the opportunity to earn money. Um, 12s really? Um, sorry. Uh, lots. Uh, LOL. They uh, understand their main product is quite dour and needs a change. But rugby league always exists. There's a league coming in there. Uh, Zane has come in, as always, um, with some interesting thoughts. Whilst I personally hate the idea of this 12s comp, we need to remember that just because we don't want it, that doesn't mean the fans in the North won't love the idea. At times, we Kiwis seem to believe that having the best national team gives us the right to decide what's good for the rest of the world. Um, that's reflected by our reaction to the way the SAF has played against us this year. Uh, just because our game suits us, that doesn't... Uh, see that the rest of the world has to like it. As you say, in the end, money will talk. If the cash is there, the players will go. Of course they'll go. They just will go. Um, interesting uh, coming here uh, on News For You. Uh, Blues fans, you've got a good signing. Anton Signer, John from Tasman, uh, has joined the Blues. Uh, this is the young kid straight, well, really, straight out of uh, Nelson Boys College. He played for Tasman in the Shield Challenge, played okay. Um, but uh, is he a good signing for the Mighty Champion Blues? Is that a good signing for Signa? Yeah, well, it's unique. This will be the first German to play in Super Rugby, Smithy. So a German kid, mm -hmm. loved the sport of rugby growing up and then thought, bugger it, I'm going to give it a go in New Zealand. It got a scholarship to Nelson College and that's where Leon McDonald saw him, who was the coach of yeah. the Tasman Marco and... Now he's brought him up to Auckland. I think he's tried to bring several Tasman players up here before. Ethan Blackadder, Will Jordan, but they all kind of want to stay in the Crusaders environment. But he's managed to prize one out of the South Island smithy, and I, I like him. He's a hard-edged kind of guy, uh, workhorse, a bit like Ethan Blackadder in that respect. He's still a young kid. I think he's still 20 years old or only a couple of years mm. out of college. So he will bulk up a bit more and become stronger. But I think in terms of a number seven prospect around the country, he's one of the better ones. So, yep, well done to the Blues. 
Okay, good signing. Anton Sagner up north, on the way uh, up north. 9.53 here on SENZ. Uh, multi-news and multi-prediction uh, just before 10 o'clock. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Well, we put our trust in Brian yesterday, and uh, even though he delivered uh, on Tuesday, Wednesday wasn't quite as successful for him. Uh, Swartzman did beat Fognini, Utah beat Denver, and the Knicks beat 76ers, but the Astros let uh, us and Brian down. They conceded early runs in Game 1 of the uh, MLB World Series, uh, and the Braves knocked them over 6-2. Uh, today, uh, one last chance, Brian, and Brian's come through with this one. Uh, he says the Astros will atone. They'll beat the Braves today at $1.80. They're at home. They need to win that. Uh, and tomorrow morning, Napoli in the Serie A. Napoli to beat Bologna. That it's at $1.25. And today, also the Boston Celtics to beat the Washington Wizards at a buck fifty-seven. So, uh, Brian, all the best with that one. Uh, folks, if you follow him, it'll be $3.53 the return. Uh, after the 10 o'clock news with Trude, uh, we're going to be talking um, rugby with Mark Brown, co-coach of Canterbury. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, it hasn't been the best of seasons so far for Canterbury and the NPC, but they still have time to turn around. They host uh, Crusaders, Neighbours and two-time defending champions Tasman and Christchurch tomorrow night. Cross our fingers about that all of a sudden. And uh, we're joined now by co-coach of the Red and Blacks, uh, Mark Brown. Uh, thanks for joining us uh, this morning, Mark. Um, I, I guess one of the things that are, about this is we're so used to seeing Canterbury towards the top of the tree um, it's a little surprising. Um, what have you put it down to this year? Oh, thanks for uh, thanks for having us in. Um, yeah, look, it's just I think there's a number of factors. It's not it's not just one uh, uh, one little point that's uh, sort of contributing to where we find ourselves. Um, I think first and foremost is um, you know the strength of the the competition. She's uh, she's evenly spread, and you can see the performances over the last couple of years of teams like. Um, firstly, Hawks Bay and, and Taranaki. Um, it just shows that the competition and, and the players and so forth are just probably a little bit more evenly spread. So um, uh, that, that makes for uh, a competition where you're not going to, you know, you're not going to have the, the dominance that maybe you once had. But uh, you know, looking internally, we've um, yeah, we've we've shown glimpses of what we're capable of, and, and, and there's various reasons that we're just not delivering complete performances at the moment. Okay, so um, let's look at uh, perhaps the most recent one. Um, not very often you you see uh, any side hand up a 17-0 lead last week uh, under the roof there in Dunedin. I, I guess that sort of epitomised um, the season to a large degree. You get yourself into good situations and just can't close, uh, close the deal. Yeah, absolutely right. And I think you look at the stats in that game, you know, we, we operated the whole game with about 30%. Uh, territory and only about sort of 40 or 50 percent possession, so um, you know that automatically tells you we, for long periods of the game, we're playing at the wrong end of the field. And um, so I think just getting the mix right in terms of uh, playing in the right part of the field, um, discipline is, is giving teams the opportunity to, to sort of put territorial uh, pressure on us as well. So that's going to be better. So yeah, a mix of sort of game management, a bit more accurate kicking, 
uh, and discipline so that we can um, you know we can maintain pressure on teams for sustained periods of time is uh, you know it's a big focus for us this week anyway. Okay, let's uh, look at the injury toll. Um, and like most sides, you you have to manage that and you have to cope around it. Are you, are you going to get any of uh, the likes of uh, Mitch Dunshay, Callan Grace, Billy Harmon, Tom Christie? I mean, vast experience amongst those players at, at uh, a higher level as well. Uh, are you getting any players back in the interim? Uh, yeah, no, unfortunately not. No, those are all sort of season season ending uh, injuries. Some of them. Some of them occurred before uh, our season even got underway. So, uh, yeah, unfortunately, we have got, uh, we've got quite a long list of injuries. And as you say, some, some sort of uh, experience and, and key players in our squad. But uh, um, like you preface that question, if we're not alone in that boat. I think everyone's uh, at the back of a long campaign. Even most squads are, uh, are surviving on fumes at the moment. So, um, you know, we've, we've, we've been able to give some opportunities to some... Uh, some younger or some more seasoned club players, and, and they've acquitted themselves well. So, um, you know, we're not alone in the injury stakes, and that's uh, that's not a that's not a, a reason that um, that we're looking forward to or looking at to explain our performances. To be honest. So, you and Ruben are co-coaching the side. How does the, the dynamic work there? Who's look? Where are your areas of responsibility, etc.? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Um, it's, it's a slightly unusual sort of setup, I suppose. Uh, but uh, Ruben takes care of, he sort of leads the forwards and looks after our defence. So he's more um, he's more heavily involved uh, in a coaching on the grass capacity and, and I sort of fulfil more of the head coach role off the field, dealing with all the management issues. Um, and then I also look after uh, the breakdown in, in certain parts of, of the game on the field. But um, I'm more assisting Ruben. He's leading... Uh, on the grass, and, and I take care of the off-field, and I, I lead in that area, and, and, and Rubes assist me in, in that area. So that's sort of how we've, we've split the roles. How do you, do you feel under, um, under pressure, Mark, uh, as, as a duo? Because uh, I, I know Canterbury rugby folk have a very high expectation based on performance over a long, long period of time, and uh, uh, do you feel any outward pressure from that? You, you, you're getting full support from everyone around? Yeah, another good question. So, um, look, to be honest, no. Um, and it, it might sound uh, that might sound a little bit token, but I think that the pressure we, or the pressure or even expectation, uh, is it, created by that legacy that Canada's left. But um, you know, we're uh, we're sort of working in the current environment, and, and whilst we're fully cognizant and respectful of what's gone before us, it's the group of players that we've got now uh, that are our full get our full focus and attention and. Um, I think the pressure, if there's any pressure, it's inward um, because we, Reeves and I and our whole coaching group, we, we're not really in the coaching game to, for ourselves. Um, what we derive the most pleasure of is, is seeing our boys um, fulfil their potential and, and really kick on and, and uh, achieve you know whatever they want and, and get whatever they want out of the game. I suppose that's the most... Uh, Frustrating and disappointing thing at the moment because um, you know we're seeing glimpses of what this team's capable of, and uh, you know we, we're just focusing on these next two weeks of, of really extracting uh, the best out of this team and, and each individual, so um, you know so they can put themselves uh, in the best light for their future careers. So um, there is a bit of pressure from um, fans and the like, and you know they expect they've got expectations at Canterbury, and we've, you know we fully respect that, but. Um, you know, that pressure is, uh, we, we sort of transfer that into just 
getting better each week. And um, I suppose the criticism and the pressure and the headlines and everything that comes your way, that um, what it does do is it does actually show people that have got your back. We've had enormous support from within the organisation and from our friends and family and a lot of fans as well. So um, there's two sides to that and uh, we, we prefer the, the positive side with the level of support we're getting. Well, I mean, it's not it's not doom and gloom and completely either because uh, whilst it hasn't been ultra successful to this point, you you, you are still in touch. There is uh, a chance you can uh, feature and play a football. So, uh, how is the confidence level? Uh, what are you saying to your players? Uh, wh- who are the senior players there that that you're asking perhaps a, a, a little bit more of to step up? Yeah, well, we we are with. We're fully aware of the table, and um, you know we're, we're extremely determined. Um, we're you know we're still um, training and and speaking of of winning this this competition, and it's well within our grasp. It's at all within our own hands. Um, if you reflect on last year, you know yes, we the, the, sort of the rhetoric is we missed out. We were lucky not to get relegated, but uh, if you look at the table, we're actually won only one point off of making the semi-finals and having beaten the two finalists. Um, you know, we felt last year was, even though we had a rocky road, it was an opportunity lost. So this year we've we've got that all within our own hands and that's, that actually really excites us. So, um, you know, it's, there's been no trouble with the energy or being positive. Everyone's uh, really excited. And um, and the leadership group, our guys like Reed Princett um, and his, his sort of support around our senior guys like Mitch Drummond and Luke Romano, you know, they've been really strong within the group. Um, throughout the season, but they've really stepped up in the last couple of weeks, and we've got some sort of emerging leaders as well, who like sort of Brody McAllister and uh, Rama Kapoihipi. Um, you know, those guys are, you know, they're really stepping up and taking on some responsibility as well. So um, no, it's been really encouraging to see those leaders emerge like that. And uh, as I say, we're, um, we're we're pretty excited about what what lies ahead of us this week. Regardless of uh, how things are going and, and um, the position on the table, etc., uh, this is a question just uh, I'll ask you anyway, actually. Um, do you have any contact with, with, with Razor or any super coaches who have got players involved within your group? I mean, I, I kind of assume you, you see the, you know, the likes of some of the coaches floating around the NPC games to look at players, whatever. Do you, do you have any contact with, with the likes of Razor in, in terms of what you're doing and, and the personnel you've got? Uh, within our environment, Smithy at Rugby Park, you know, the Crusaders are based there and without without any overseas travel or anything like that being able to be undertaken at the moment, um, you know, the, the super coaches are in and out. And, uh, yeah, well, look, we definitely, you know, we have corridor conversations with them all the time. Uh, and if there's a specific area um, that, we, you know, we want to have a conversation and bounce some ideas off or or even get some sort of external feedback, then, yeah, we, you know, Razor and, and Chase Ryan, uh, and that whole Crusader group, uh, you know, they're really valuable in that space, and we definitely, um, we definitely draw upon that expertise and experience that they've got. So, um, you know, it's it's really it's a really valuable sort of asset. And I know, like uh, Marty Burke, for example, he's joined us from uh, the Bay Plenty previously, and he's got a close relationship with Clayton McMillan. So I know they, um, you know, they converse as well. So, yeah, where possible, we, you know, we're definitely open and and. Um, and call on experience when and if it's needed. Well, no time better time to turn it round and and get uh, get on the front foot uh, than this weekend because in fact tomorrow night uh, it's Tasman. You beat them twenty nine nil last year. 
Um, it's uh, always a game with feeling, uh, an inter-franchise match. So um, <clears throat> this is a good one, and, and of course, for you in particular, a vital one. Yeah, that's right. It's those games have a bit of edge to them anyway, and with what's riding on it, uh, it just adds a little bit of extra spice. So, as I said, um, it's, it was a game that you know everyone always looks forward to on both in both camps, and uh, you know there's a, a huge amount of mutual respect. But um, when you have those uh, those franchise rivalries, they've got a little bit of extra about them, and um, you know that's uh, as I said said previously that uh, it's been exciting and. Everyone was pretty pumped to turn up this week, and uh, yeah, we're really looking forward to that opportunity. Okay, Mark, I know you've got to go to a logistical meeting, um, so we'll let you go. Hey, thanks very much. Uh, good luck uh, with uh, uh, the game against Tasman. Uh, all eyes on that tomorrow night, hopefully, uh, in Christchurch um, around about 7 o'clock kickoff. So uh, all the best for, for what's coming up, and thank you. Great, Mark. Pleasure. Thanks, Mike. Cheers. All the best. Yeah, cheers, uh, Mark Brown, their co-coach, uh, along with uh, Ruben Thorne. Interesting to hear the job split there too, wasn't it? That, that um, Ruben is uh, in charge on the grass. Uh, Mark does uh, a lot of logistical stuff along with, with other extra responsibilities as well. My understanding is that uh, they've got a meeting down there uh, very shortly in Christchurch because of these two COVID cases that have reared their very ugly heads uh, down there all of a sudden. Remember, this is uh, a part of the world that hadn't had cases basically for, what, over 320 days, John. So uh, all of a sudden they're confronted with this. Uh, just what uh, levels uh, do they go to? Do they get to the point where no crowds down there for this game? Is that the first step they take? Um, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, but uh, And I guess that that's uh, what they're about to find out about. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, I think a lot of people will be running around in Christchurch saying, hey, what do we do here, Smithy? So I think, yeah, rugby's just one of many things that could be affected. Uh, we've already seen Cup Week being affected down there, unfortunately. And yeah, tomorrow's game against Tasman in Christchurch. Who knows? So Mark Brown off to that meeting now, and I know they've got their captain's run this morning as well. Canterbury, um, yeah, interesting. They've got a losing record now, Smithy, um, after last week. They were 50-50, Mark Brown and Reuben Thorne in their tenure. Just took over last year. Um, so now they've got a losing record as Canterbury rugby coaches. And this is from a team that have not too long ago won 9 out of 10 years in a row under Razor. But they did have names like Richie Moonga, Ryan Crotty, Mark Todd running around for them, playing MPC. And that's why they won 9 out of 10 titles. These days they don't have that sort of luxury, do they, Smithy? I wonder where Mark Todd had got since he finished his equestrian career. Um, is, is he related to Matt <laughs> yeah. Todd at all? Yeah, I think, I think they know each other. Yeah, Mark Todd, not a bad open side as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, weighing in at about 72 kilos. Um, look, <laughs> yeah. uh, just uh, Here's one text before we go to the break, uh, and this is an interesting one because it, uh, it actually is about, um, well, it mentions Mark Browner, and uh, it just gives you a bit of feeling about uh, Canterbury Rugby and how much pride they take down there. Hey, Smithy, maybe Mark Brown should be spending some time looking back at the history and legacy of the red and black jersey. Just focusing on the now is great if you're winning, but these lads need to realise they're simply custodians of the jersey. They don't own it. We have something like four, uh, 14 Super Rugby players in our squad, and we are not good enough, and someone's got to take accountability. That is an unnamed text, uh, but uh, I know exactly where it's come from, and uh, I know, having played against Canterbury, for a long, long period of time, second isn't in the equation. 10.17 here, S-E-N-Z. 
It's panel time this morning, and we're chock full of quality with uh, Guy Havelt and Hugh Bain on this morning, and uh, we couldn't get uh, over to Wales uh, to get hold of Xavier Rush this morning, so we've gone to Hugh Bain, and of course with Welsh descent running through his veins very proudly as well. Uh, Hugh, good morning to you. What are you expecting this weekend from what we are told is a slightly understrength Welsh side? Yeah, morning, Smithy. Morning, everyone. Um, I'm expecting what I've come to expect in my 33 years on this planet, and that is uh, 60 minutes of a close game of rugby, followed by 20 minutes of All Blacks dominance and a, and a win for the All Blacks. My old man will be in the stands at the best rugby stadium on earth. He was born in 1958. He has never seen Wales beat the All Blacks. Um, so I will be waking up early and watching and hoping for his sake that they do. I don't think they will. Uh, by my count, and what my selection would be, seven of the starting 15 aren't available, plus another 13 potential squad members. Um, but Alan Wynne Jones is there. All right, Alan Wynne Jones is there. He's going to run out onto an international rugby field for the 161st time. Phenomenal achievement. Surely, surely, sometime in this giant of a man's career, he will beat the All Blacks in a Welsh jersey. He's done it in the Lions jersey. Surely, he'll do it in a Welsh jersey. So they'll turn up with that usual level of optimism, your father and all his cohorts uh, into that magnificent stadium, and it is, I promise you that, folks. Um, and they'll turn up with that optimism, and, and the, the feeling will be there, the atmosphere will be there, Hugh? Oh, mate, the, the, uh, the bellies will be full, the cups will be flowing, the voices will be loud, <laughs> the singing will be thunderous. Um, the rugby might not go their way, but that's fine. You know what? What's a good thing from a competitive point of view is it's coming off the back of a pretty uncompetitive game, so they're going to look really competitive, <laughs> given what we saw last week. I didn't mind last week at all. I'm not knocking last week at all. Um, but yeah, I think I think it'll be a good game of rugby. You know, Wales always bring that. And it sounds like we say that every time anyone plays Wales, they bring a huge amount of passion to a game. They're very good mm-hmm. rugby players. Um, I think it's going to be a good game. But I see the All Blacks winning. How many points uh, is passion worth, Guy Havelt? Yeah, morning, morning, Smithy, morning, Hugh, morning, everyone. Uh, look, I, I, I kind of echo what Hugh's saying. I, I hear a lot of people saying that it's going to be a one-sided route again, maybe not, well, hopefully not as bad, definitely not as bad as last week. Um, but I, I don't think it will be totally one-sided. I, I, think, I think Hugh's bang on. I think it'll probably be quite close to 60 minutes. Uh, and then, as we often see with the All Blacks, when they make changes, their depth is, is relatively strong, or strong enough anyway, that they can bring people off the bench and, and be as strong as they were, um, you know, with the starting 15. So, yeah, I'm expecting an All Blacks win. I would say it'll probably be somewhere between, you know, 10 to 20 points or something like that. Uh, so relatively comfortable in the end. But uh, I think it'll be close for, for the best part of the majority of it anyway. Wales... And it's a cliche, but it's true. Wales always turn up against the All Blacks, or more than often anyway, always turn up against the All Blacks, playing at home at Millennium Stadium. Uh, I don't see it being any different, despite the fact that they're under strength. OK, then. Guy Havel, closer to home. Uh, we've just been speaking to the Canterbury co-coach, uh, Mark Brown. Will Canterbury turn up against Tasman this weekend? What's your read on the situation down there? Well, I actually found, I just listened to your interview with him, and, and I don't know, maybe I was the only one thinking this, but, but when he spoke about how they split the jobs between him and, and Ruben Thorne, to me it, it kind of seemed like he wasn't entirely sure if that was the right thing to be doing, or certainly 
mm-hmm. it, it, maybe he, 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 it sounded like, I don't know, this might be unfair to him, but it sounded like he was coming across as if it, he knew it wasn't working and, and that they needed to change something. Uh, look, Canterbury have been very disappointing this season overall. Uh, I know he was saying, and he's right, that you know they are factually only a couple of points or a point outside the semi-finals. But um, you know, this is a Canterbury team that has won however many provincial titles it's been over the last decade, uh, and they they should be in the semi-final. That's just a fact of it. Yeah, the squad is is, is quite different to what it has been. Uh, but but when it comes to Canterbury and it comes to the depth that they've had in Canterbury rugby for so long, uh, this this really shouldn't be happening. Um, and that comes from a Cantabrian who's who's quite passionate in terms of Canterbury sport and that sort of thing. Uh, so it is disappointing to see. However, I will I will admit, and I think I said this on your show a couple of weeks ago. I don't watch a lot of provincial rugby anymore. Uh, I, I uh, and I'm I'm very different to Hugh in this. Uh, I, I struggle with getting up for it. Uh, there's a lot of other rugby going on in the world that 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 I take that takes priority because there is so much rugby that I can't watch at all, uh, and so provincial rugby for me takes a little bit of a little bit of a side seat. If Canterbury were going, then maybe I'd watch it more. I don't know. Would you watch the twelves then, Guy? Would you watch the twelves? It appears <laughs> you won't be watching them shortly. Thank goodness, world rugby has taken the stance, Smithy. Thank goodness they've taken the stance. Why? I, I, as I said, there's just so much rugby going on, and rugby has far bigger issues at play than than introducing another competition with a, a, a slight difference in the number of players and the slight difference in the duration of the matches. Um, and, and fortunately, I see that that World Rugby has said that they are focused on uh, getting a, a global calendar that works for everyone. Now they've been saying that for years. Uh, so maybe I shouldn't get too excited about it, but that is the biggest problem, I think, for World Rugby at the moment, is getting a calendar that suits everyone so that we don't have understrength sides coming up against uh, the best teams in the world on occasion because that just ruins things. I know COVID has had a lot to do with that in, in some regards, but when it comes to football, how often do you see uh, you know, the likes of Brazil, Portugal, England, whoever it might be, trotting out their second-string teams because the calendars just don't, don't pan out? how they should. Um, I think that's the big problem with world, for World Rugby at the moment. And if they do live up to what they're saying, then, then that'll be great because that is, that's what they need to focus on. OK, you, uh, what's your take on, on the 12s there? Uh, were you um, getting excited about it? Do you think it's going to die a natural death? I, I see too many very powerful personalities behind this, as, as recently as uh, Kieran Reid the other day. Yeah, I don't think it's going anywhere soon. Um, in both senses of that sentence, many obviously World Rugby is the next step for now. Uh, I'll qualify kind of that coming from a stance now where I do work in a sport sport administration a bit. We're living in times where it's pretty hard to get anything off the ground right now, given the state of the world, mm. state of travel, the state of funding, state of sponsorship. I'm sure that's played a part in it as well. I can see those powerful people trying again for the next few years for sure. Was I excited? No, I'm the same as Guy. Uh, so much rugby already for guys. It's provincial rugby that's gone by over the wayside. For me, I don't really watch super rugby. I watch provincial rugby, international mm. rugby. Um, there's just so much, you know, <laughs> like, like Guy says. And there's sevens as well. We already have a shortened format of the game. Um, <laughs> so I wasn't overly excited. Uh, when I saw the news that today, I was like, eh, fine. You know, I wasn't fine. I was, probably wasn't going to watch it. But I'm fine either way. Okay, right. On that subject of uh, news, fellas, uh, Guy Havelt, Hugh Bainan with us. Uh, we'll just take a short break. When we come back, a couple of uh, very interesting issues uh, in the world uh, of sport. 
uh, that um, mix a wee bit with politics as well. Love your thoughts on that. Meanwhile, it hits 10.30. Here's Trudy. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Hugh Bain and Guy Havelt are the members of the panel this morning. Uh, now, Guy, if you were working uh, for the SABC in Johannesburg at the moment, I would imagine one of your lead stories uh, would be about this Quinton de Kock situation, South African cricket and the South African government. Um, what is your take on this? Uh, it's nothing apart from ugly for me. That's the perfect word for it. It's ugly. It's it's extraordinary what's really played out in the last 24 to 48 hours around one of, if not the best players in their squad at the moment. Uh, he can, and particularly when it comes to limited overs cricket, this guy can can change a game on its head. But obviously there are bigger issues at play here. Uh, I'm I'm torn between two parts of thinking in, in this. Um, I there is no place for racism at all in any sport in any part of life whatsoever, uh, and and any kind of um, protest or any kind of um, action or whatever it might be to try and raise awareness to that and to try and and help the fight against racism I applaud. In saying that though, I don't I, you know how how can you force someone to do something that. I don't know, they don't want to do or that they maybe, you know, we haven't heard it from Quinton de Kock. I don't know what his side of the story is. Maybe he wanted to protest or, or take a different stance and, and against racism. Uh, maybe he, he had some other way of doing it. Um, I, I do struggle with, with forcing people to do something um, that even not necessarily they don't want to do, but you're just telling them that they have to do something even if it comes to something like this, I just don't think that that's the right thing to do. There are other ways this could have been done. I see that half the team, um, when they first did it during this tournament, half of them were kneeling and half of them were standing up. So there's clearly some sort of divide in the team, I think, if we're just reading from that. Uh, and I think there are bigger issues at play here. It, it's sad, absolutely it's sad, and, and it's, a, it's a huge issue. Uh, and it, it's still the end of, of one of South Africa great one of his career because how is he going to play for that team again at the moment? Mm, exactly. Well, I'll tell you what, Hugh, uh, we first saw this really, it really came to prominence with uh, Colin Kaepernick, of course, from the San Francisco 49ers uh, with his display and, and this sort of taking the knee trend has followed on since then. But we have seen it a lot in the NBA, haven't we? And we've seen it um, also on the back of, jerse- of, of playing vests. We've seen it... Um, displayed all over the place in the NBA, probably the the uh, code uh, and the competition that we've seen it the most in. So, what what is your what is your take on that? Bearing that in mind, yeah, we've seen a lot around American sport. You're right, and you remember how vilified Colin Kaepernick was at the start uh, when he first did it by by a large portion of media society, the NFL itself, the owners, everything lost his job, never got back into the league. Um, to how it is now revered today in such a short time. Um, Around Quinton de Kock, I, I do agree with the guy. There's a better way of going about it than just forcing all your players to do it. Having said that, I also find it a weird hill to die on for Quinton de Kock to be like, you know, we all have jobs. We all get told what to do by our bosses. Um, on the long list of things you get told to do by your bosses, making a stand against racial equality seems like a fine one that I'm not going to, you know, jeopardize my whole career to protest against. So find it a weird hill to die on. A few red flags, maybe, about Clinton to talk. Is that unfair? I don't know. Has he jeopardised his team's 
performance at this World Cup? Of course he has. So, yeah, certainly I think there's a lot more to come in this story over the next few weeks and months. Yeah, I think there is too, um, and I, I don't think he'll play again. Uh, that's my immediate take on this: is mm. I, I don't think he'll play again. I mean, he has to give a lot of how ground for me. Yeah, exactly. How, he has how, to how give can a, he line up for that team amongst amongst um, guys who are taking the knee, and, and some who I'm sure feel very passionately about it. And then he's gone and done this. How can he possibly mm. play alongside those people in this tournament at least again? I, I, I'm with you. I don't think he can. I think one of the most diplomatic displays I've seen is actually out of their captain, Bavuma. I think his, his quotes in there have been quite uh, outstanding uh, around the whole deal. Uh, let's stay on the cricket mm. theme for just a second, Guy. Um, Black Caps are almost in a playoff situation here and, and only in game two of the competition. It's a weird sort of a draw, isn't it, when you come to that? But uh, what do you make of this and, and where have they got a lift? Uh, well, they've got a lift in the batting. Uh, the batting and the death bowling, I think, are two places that they've particularly got a lift. Look, I, I did feel for them a little bit in the sense that they didn't have a Lockie Ferguson and then they weren't allowed to have Adam Milne, which I thought was, was very perplexing, particularly when Milne was uh, confirmed as the replacement by the ICC or approved by the, the replacement of the, by the ICC about half an hour after the game finished. So I thought that was a little bit odd. Uh, so they missed, they missed one of those two guys, so having one of them back will be will be helpful, but the batting has to be better. Look, I'm not ruling them out. Uh, they've beaten India in, in this sort of situation in, in the 50-over World Cup uh, you know, a couple of years ago. Uh, they're the type of team that can lift. They, they do have to lift. In saying that, they weren't enormously off against Pakistan, but they weren't drastically bad. There were just moments where I think they were... They were slightly disappointing and, and, and the, game, the game fell away from them. And, and that was parts of the batting and, and then also, as I say, the death bowling. So if they can improve those two things, I'm not ruling them out of this. And, and imagine if they did beat India again and India missed out on making the semi-finals of the 2020 World Cup. That would be huge. Uh, and there would be enormous questions asked of that Indian side, that's for sure. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not expecting them to win, but, yeah, I'm hopeful that they can, that they can get it done. Richie or Bodie for you, Guy Havel? I mean, I can't think of, uh, if you weren't allowed to play at home, you weren't able to play on your home patch for your 100th Test match, I can't think of uh, a much more passionate um, and receptive uh, rugby audience to run out in front of uh, than uh, Wales and, and uh, the Millennium Stadium. So for you, Guy Havel, would you start Richie? Would you start Bodie? Oh, Smithy, it's a great question. Do you give a guy uh, the starting jersey just because it's his 100th game, or do you pick the best possible team? Professional sport, I think you ought to pick the best possible team. Uh, he'll get his 100th cap. He would have played 100 games for the All Blacks. If you think Rich Moonga is your best first five and the best way of winning the game, you pick Rich Moonga, don't you? I think it's a, it's a tough one on Bowden, but uh, he's given so much service to the All Blacks and New Zealand rugby, but it's professional sport. You can't, you can't, I, I, you can't sit here and, and just just want it to fairy tales. He gets paid enough money. He'll get his hundred cap. Um, if they think Richie's the best, who's hired for Richie? Well, it's, there's two ways to look at it, I suppose, um, Hugh. In, in terms of that, you can you can say uh, he can lead them out um, and get the acknowledgement there. Yeah. Um, and then you could say he's going to come off the bench by himself, maybe at the thirty minute mark, and he'll get the accolades then as well. Um, but um, I'm not sure. Is he? Is it? Is the ten jersey hue for you that clear cut? For instance, I mean, does he not deserve to start anyway? First of all, I don't weep for the All Blacks for this selection. This particular selection headache. 
um, between Richie and, <laughs> and Bodie. For me, Bowden starts because I think Bowden's a better 10. I, I, Richie Bowden is a phenomenal rugby player, don't get me wrong. And like I say, that's potentially two, the two best players in the world. Uh, for me, it's Bowden and always has been Bowden. Um, so I'd like to see him start on top of that. He gets to run out first and, and you know, receive the accolades of 78,000 adoring rugby fans. So, uh, also, a shout-out to Johnny Sexton, you know, another fantastic first five who's playing his 100th test this weekend for Ireland. So, two world-class first fives going to notch up a ton, which is great. Uh, can I just ask you, Hugh, now that we're getting some basketball and uh, Kyrie Irving and uh, Ben Simmons have just taken a little bit of a seat backwards further, uh, I, I just wonder, what, what have you noticed? Uh, I mean, it's very early, long, long season. Have, what have you noticed about uh, anything so far that's caught your eye? Well, first of all, the Lakers winning without LeBron was interesting, and uh, losing with and winning without him. I'm a huge LeBron James fan. I think the Lakers will come right, certainly will come right. Um, what else have we seen that's caught my eye? The Bucks are going to be good. The Chicago Bulls. The Chicago Bulls are you know, just a really fun team to watch. They're a great year. I, I can see them going really deep in the, in the East as well. Ben Simmons has got to get out of there. We touched on this last week. I think he's got to get out of there, and I think he will. It's a case of where he goes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, all the, with all the eyes on the Lakers and the Nets uh, currently having kind of contrasting seasons, uh, there's also been a couple of Australians who are standing out, right? Paddy Mills, $8 million a year, which is a steal in NBA terms, um, has been phenomenal. And young Josh Giddy for the uh, for the Oklahoma City Thunder, who played in the Australian NBL last year against the Breakers, has been is having a great rookie season so far. So, yeah, really enjoying sitting down and watching the NBA. And it's just so good to have fans back in arenas. What about the World Series? Astros dropping game one yesterday, uh, Hugh. Um, what about today? I mean, if a, not, very, not very often you come back when you lose the first two at home, I wouldn't imagine. No, and I'm just, I don't know about you, Smithy, and other baseball fans. Uh, I just don't know how an Astros World Series win would go down with, uh, given, <laughs> given their recent history of winning and then being found to be cheating and. Uh, the, one of the storylines in all of sport over the last five years is that whole Astro scandal. Um, if the Braves get this one, I think they'll win the World Series. And, and a historic franchise like the Braves, I think it'd be pretty cool to see them win. Okay, Hugh Bainon and Guy Havelt were our panellists this morning and uh, a number of issues we, we uh, mulled over there and uh, it was fantastic. So, fellas, thank you very much for taking part. Uh, we'll have another one tomorrow morning uh, around about uh, 10.20 uh, the, um, on Friday, our last one for the week. And that reminds me, of course, don't forget uh, to get those texts in and you can be part of a massive package we're giving away just after 11.30, I think, tomorrow. We're giving away a pillow. So two prizes we'll give away tomorrow. We'll give away a temper pillow for 299 bucks, But we'll also give away a temper package with 10000 Yeah, $10,000. Uh, so get your texts in on the subjects um, that are concerning you at the moment, uh, perhaps... Uh, the Twelves, perhaps uh, Quinton de Kock, um, anything that you feel really passionate about, outline it to us in text form on double eight double three, and you could be in the draw. And we are so looking forward to uh, making uh, one of our listeners absolutely ecstatic tomorrow. It's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Brendan's come in with quite an interesting concept uh, regarding players giving back to rugby rather than taking. Uh, You hear rugby clubs are all struggling for players or kids to take up the game, he says. You uh, see how good it was in the East Coast the other week with Nonu and co. Why can't these top-level players have put 
have uh, put in their contracts to go back and play club rugby to get people back in the club rooms at grassroots, le- grassroots level. I'm sure this does happen with some players, but how good for these up-and-coming players to play and rub shoulders with them. They get in their con- contracts only two-thirds of uh, the media interviews a year, um, so the same for club rugby. Uh, interesting. Yeah, it is. Um, it, it is about contracts. It is about professionalism, Brendan. Uh, and whilst um, a lot of well-meaning rugby players would like to do that, um, the majority wouldn't. The majority don't see any money in that, and the majority are professional. That's what they do for their jobs, and they have a limited lifespan within their jobs. Uh, the likes of Manonu, et cetera, who are still uh, playing for money at the age uh, in the late 30s, et cetera, are rarities um, to be able to stay fit that long, to be able to preserve your brain for that long. Um, you know, and to have the drive to do that for so long, bearing in mind it's the one chance you have to make the big buck and try and set yourself for, up for life afterwards. Uh, not everyone will get a coaching gig. Not everyone will stay within the game. Um, uh, the, the vast majority, of course, won't, and they'll have to go elsewhere to look. And even if you retire at the age of 35 to 36, even out to 38, you have still got around about 30 years of a working life left if you're not financially uh, independent at that point. And that is um, still the majority, a a very long part of your life, I can promise you that. So uh, we um, will keep an eye on that. Thanks very much for your your messages uh, along the line this morning. Uh, It is 10.50 here on SENZ. Louis Herman Watt uh, and then Pip Morris from the TAB. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Well, it's two days out from what a large amount of uh, racing fans regard as the biggest day in Australian racing, just because the quality, the depth of the fields and so much at stake. I'm talking about Derby Day uh, at Flemington. Um, on a slightly smaller scale today, Louis Herman, what? There's uh, nine races today at Teatawa as well. What's uh, taking your fancy? Yes, Smithy, there is a lovely little track down there, Teatawa, which is actually playing home to the Swamp Foxes. If they win this weekend, they go through to the Meads Cup final. And we're all about the yeah. Swamp Foxes. It's their, their, they've got their charity jersey up for raffle this weekend as well. And um, you can go on for as a fundraiser. We had uh, their coach on the show. Great dude. Great dude. Anyway, today... Tiaraha. In the first, there's this horse that's got a little bit of bully around it, if you read and believe the uh, Noldals on Twitter. Lion Tamer, who is very, very good with this stuff. Uh, Asmarad. Asmard. And it's a lovely little thing. It's a gelding that went really well at Talpo first up, I think it was. And it's its second chance now. And uh, second run now. And it's going to at the price of about $2.70, Smithy. So I think in the first you can have a bet there. I don't know if TAB is doing bonus backs today. But look, what I'm really excited to see, hopefully break its maiden today, is Alchemia. Now, I've been I've tipped this thing out twice already, this preparation. It just hasn't quite got it done. It was racing down in the Hawks Bay and good races. It comes it finds itself in a maiden over 1,200 metres today. It's not like the field's absolutely trash. There's some horses that have taken some bet moves in the betting as well. Vala Dams for Jim Pender and um, Divine Sava as well for Marshy. But I just think Alchemy is a horse that shouldn't be a maiden and it won't be for long. So that's where I'm looking. Race number eight, number three, Alchemia. Okay, we'll take uh, take that on board. And uh, thanks very much, uh, Louis. Uh, we'll get uh, in contact with you tomorrow, of course, uh, on the eve of Derby Day, VRC Derby. Derby, I can't wait. And and there's an omen in there too, actually, uh, because Lion Tamer, he mentioned the, the Lion Tamer. 
Alliant Tamer won the VRC derby, so there you will go. Pip Morris is at uh, the TAB for us uh, this morning. Good morning to you, Pip. Um, Major League Baseball, Game 2 of the World Series. Of course, the Braves 1-0 up away from home yesterday, so there'll be some interest there. Yeah, there certainly will be. I should actually message and, and get what those prices are and, and we'll get them through to you because you're right, I haven't actually uh, pulled those up, but you'd think so after the way that they performed. And we better get that time of the week too. Showdown as well, Smithy. And I was having a look through. I see that uh, Staffy is starting to pull away. So I'm really interested to see what you, you've got for us this week. Okay, let's uh, tell you exactly what we've got. We've got Patrick Reed, who they love to hate in American golf. Captain America, they call him. Uh, a top 10 finish uh, at the Bermuda Championship, and that at the moment, Pip, is at $3.40. So we're going with Patrick Reed, uh, and hopefully we can close that gap on that horrible staffy. Uh, any bonus back <laughs> bets or any, anything going today uh, in terms of for our punters? Yep, still want more sport games. Of course, the same game claim on the basketball and the cricket T20 World Cup as well. So you can check out all the TNCs on those. Some really good promotions, including that three-plus league multi. And if you miss by one, you get that bonus bet refunded up to $50. And look, we've got a good meeting again. Of course, more racing over the weekend. And the Sharks going for uh, our pony. Race number six there, Tabby Mac, to take out the win at $2.30. That's in the Group 3 Red Craze Bowl, of course, coming off of that wait for age win. Mm-hmm. Callum Jones claims the three and look really looks uh, well, the class horse in that field. And there's been a couple of specs on it too, $500 uh, at that quote and a couple of others at 400 Okay, Pip, thanks very much uh, for your input and that information this morning. Yeah, I can tell you that the Astros uh, folks are at $1.80, $1.80 to get uh, back at the Braves today and level that uh, seven-match series as at one all. You do not want, you do not want to be two behind uh, heading to Atlanta Braves territory. I promise you that. So there's a real desire and a real need, I think, more than anything else for the Astros to get up today. Uh, We're going to talk to uh, Ricardo Ball after the break. There's a lot going on in uh, British football. There's a lot going on at his beloved Manchester United. I love it when they're under pressure. I enjoy that more than when Canterbury Rugby's under pressure. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. It's 11.03 here on SENZ and our regular host of Extra Time is with us now, Ricardo Ball, and uh, love catching up with him because uh, I don't think there's anyone better in the country to go to on footballing matters around the world. And uh, First of all, Ricardo, good morning to you. Can we start with uh, the ladies, please? The Football Ferns, uh, a lot better performance second time round. Lost to Canada again, but only 1-0. So on the outside, it looks like they closed the gap somewhat. Yeah, it does. It does. And I, and I think we saw that uh, Yipke Klimkova's managed to get the team in the short period of time she's had with them uh, to start adjusting to the way she wants to play. We saw in the second game uh, they pressed a lot higher up the field and they pressed mm-hmm. together a lot better. Um, and I think that stopped the Canadians being able to pass through the Ferns as easily as they did in the first match and really asked the Canadians a lot of questions. So I think, you know, that's a, a real positive sign uh, considering I'm in your second game in charge. Um, my only uh, reservation, I suppose, at the moment is needing to find, you know, uh, another fulcrum in attack when we don't have uh, Hannah Wilkinson because uh, we we seem to be a, 
uh, not have maybe a focus for our attack without Hannah in the team at the moment. So that, that'll be something that uh, Yip will be looking at is, uh, you know, if, if we have to play without Hannah, uh, what's the system we can play that's effective that doesn't need that? My, my concern um, outside of that is when they play again because, you know, uh, and it seems so hard these days that uh, we, we see with the, the All-Whites as well, the football fans, is you, you kind of get the feeling they're making progress and then it comes to a horrible full stop because uh, they don't get out on the park as a unit uh, as often mm. as they should. So let's hope that um, New Zealand football can find something, find a window and get them back together again. And that includes, of course, uh, those, uh, those players that weren't available for the series. Yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, everything from coming out of New Zealand football has suggested that there will be two more games for the All-Whites and the Ferns in the November window. They just haven't announced what those are yet. So uh, that would be great. And of course, it would be great to have Abby Ursig back in the fold as well. She's dealing with some stuff at um, North Carolina uh, that uh, is obviously pretty important to her and her team. So if we could get her back in the fold as well, um, that back line looks a little stronger. And then, you know, looking forward, Smitty, when uh, the world opens up properly again, uh, you know, and we're able to bring players from the A-League women's competition into that uh, football firm's environment and have them play offshore, then you're talking about, you know, a Rebecca Stott, Abby Ursig central defensive partnership, which is really, really solid. You're talking about Hannah Wilkinson. You're talking about players like Paige Satchel as well, who's at Sydney this year in the A-League, and, and she is a rapid man. She is really rapid, and the one thing you need in the modern game is pace, and Paige Satchel will give the football firms that. So, yeah, I think I think there are a lot of uh, a lot of reasons to be positive. Like you say, it can't just be this window and then nothing for a year, uh, but I think you'll see with the pressure on of having a World Cup on our own uh, backyard in our own backyard in 2023 that New Zealand football will be very aware of that and wanting to be the firms to be as competitive as they possibly can be in that showcase. Tottenham winning this morning uh, over Burnley um, and uh, also interesting results uh, in the, those fixtures this morning. Man City getting knocked over by West Ham who are having a hell of a year, the Hammers, uh, beating them on penalties. So a, a good result for them. Um, so those, uh, I think it's probably, is it fair to say that's the third most uh, important or third or fourth most important trophy? But uh, look, I just looked at Tottenham side. They threw most of their assets at it. Yeah, they did. Um, they, I mean, uh, I, I guess if you're Nuno Espirito Santo, you're looking at, at the, the season ahead of you, you think, well, you know, the... Uh, the league is probably not something that we're going to be able to compete in in terms of competing for the title. Uh, you know, they might be looking at trying to finish in the in the top four, but I think the league title is out of the window. And you know, one thing that will certainly buy him time and buy him appreciation with the supporters, and, and maybe make Tottenham more of an attractive prospect for other players to look at joining, is if he can put a cup in the cupboard. Right? I mean, how long has it been mm. since Tottenham have have won anything? Um, so. Mm. I think it's it's important for that on you know on that front and uh, you know I mean I know they beat Burnley was it one nil uh, this morning yep. uh, they are into the quarterfinals and of course Manchester City as you mentioned who uh, have won this thing four years in a row for the first time in five years have been beaten in the, uh, in, the in the League Cup which is which is an astounding record and you see West Ham go forward as well which is great Leicester in there too so the quarterfinals are shaping up quite nicely. Okay, let's look at um, at Manchester United. Of course, it's the probably the most um, talked about club around the world. I, w- I would be thinking, particularly uh, in Europe, I, 
I feel anyway, it still is. Uh, and it's your club. There's no two ways about it. You're playing uh, Spurs this Sunday. Is uh, is that a must-win for not just Man U as a club, but for Oli Gunnar Solskjaer? Is he under that much pressure in your eyes? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, the word is that he's been given three games to turn things around. Um, so you've got Spurs this weekend. Atalanta away in the Champions League and then Manchester City in the league at home. Um, so those are the three games he's got to turn things around. I I was talking to Dan O'Hagan, who's a uh, leading football commentator out of the UK last night on the show, and he believes that these three games are just United board buying themselves time. He uh, effectively thinks Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is a dead man walking Um but then uh, they obviously are needing some time to gather who they're going to put in place. So that's how he uh, sees it, how, and how much the UK media see it as well. I guess the thing from a United point of view, if you look at Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, he's lost this game 5-0 to Liverpool. And that's a horrendous result. Uh, the biggest, bitterest rivals at home losing like that. And most people can't see a way back. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, we've had in the past, Ollie's been in situations where he's had a couple of bad results, he's had a bit of a bad run, and people have said, well, you know, if he doesn't win this game, he's gone, and then he will pull it out of the bag and he will win three or four on the trot, and all of a sudden the pressure's off again. So from a United point of view, as a United fan, you know, you're asking yourself, is this the guy that can take us on from where we are? I think he's taken us a long way, you know, and you remember when he took over three years ago, United Mm. was out of the top four, and in the last three seasons, we've finished sixth, third, and second under him. So you can see the progression. You can see the squad has definitely gotten stronger. But the demands of that strong, of that squad, the egos in that squad, have also uh, picked up as well. And is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, um, does he carry enough weight to control that dressing room and to, and to, to be able to take that, that team forward? That is the question. So if you're a United fan, you kind of recognise, I think, what he's done for the club. And you think... You know, you put him next to the Pep Guardiola's and the Jurgen Klopp's and the Thomas Tuchel's and go, is he in that? Is he in that lane at the moment? He's probably not there yet. Um, you know, there might be something that he gets to at some point. But we, as United, can we wait for that to happen? And so, you know, it's that whole, well, if we give him three games and he wins three games, then is all forgiven, or is that just delaying the inevitable? So, yeah, for me, mm. it's, a, it's a tricky one because you know I want the best for. From United, obviously, but and I also respect the work that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has done there. So it's it's a really tough call, but it's one that's going to be made, and I think um, you will see Antonio Conte in the United hot seat before Christmas. Okay, well that's an interesting one for me because uh, they've tended and they have in the past, and it was interesting that West Ham are having such a great run with David Moyes, uh, of course, and. The other answer that may be an outside possibility, it might the name might be going across the boardroom um, desk, uh, it may be that uh, their answer to their solution just walked out of uh, St James's Park up the road the other day. Uh, 309 appearances for the club. Certainly the fans wouldn't mind seeing Steve Bruce there, I'm sure. Uh, well, no, I, I would disagree with that, Smitty. Um, I think Steve okay. Bruce is a legend. Uh, and he, he, you know, he won... He was the captain when United won their first title in 26 years. Um, that's great. But as a manager, you look at his track record and you look at the style of football that Steve Bruce likes to play, and it's, I don't think United fans would embrace that at all. I think it'd be, it'd be open rebellion. I think that would be a step backwards from where Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has taken them. Um, so 
I don't see Steve Bruce as an option, to be honest. Um, I think he's just the wrong type of manager for where United need to go. So, no, I would I would be I would be saying no to that uh, pretty strongly. If if I was asked from a United point of view, um, I think really that the, the you know uh, there's a guy uh, Eric Ten Hag who's in charge of Ajax. I really like the way he goes about um, running a team and, and and building a first team. He's done a great job there. I mean, they just beat Dortmund, Borussia Dortmund, four 0 in the Champions League, and they are flying in the Dutch league. They have done for the last couple of years, so I think he's an option. Um, there's been some talk of Zidane. I think that's to do with Pogba and Cristiano Ronaldo's relationship with him. I don't know that that'll happen. Zidane doesn't speak English, which I think is something you probably need to manage in the Premier League successfully. Uh, so you know, outside of that, it's Antonio Conte or. If you can get him out of there, Maurizio Pochettino was one that United had looked at in the past. He courses at PSG at the moment, but everything mm-hmm. at PSG is judged on how well you do in the Champions League. And they look a little rocky at the moment, and Pochettino's only got a one-year deal. So that's another option. They might be able to prize him out of there, but those would be the names that I'd be looking at. Okay, let's um, look on the local, the more on the local scene I see. Um, they're struggling a wee bit. I read an article this morning. They're struggling a wee bit to find uh, valid sponsorship, uh, jersey sponsorship uh, for the women's Phoenix team at at uh, this stage. Is that is that concerning for you? I mean, this is a this is a whole new, fresh uh, part to this franchise. Of course, it's exciting. They're signing players, um, you know, uh, left, right, and centre, um, but no naming sponsor. That, that to me speaks of a bit of concern. Yeah, it, it, it will be a concern. Um, I would be, you know, I would be looking at it and thinking, why is why is this not happening yet? Um, I, I don't know where they've looked for those sponsors, but I would certainly uh, be looking not here, but in Australia. I mean, if you're a New Zealand sponsor, mm-hmm. a New Zealand company, um, it might look good and everything, but you're not going to have that team on the ground here. So how can you leverage your sponsorship best? So I think that might be holding back New Zealand sponsors to an extent, uh, but it shouldn't hold back Australian sponsors. Uh, you know, if there's, there are companies in Australia that want to get on board women's sport, uh, here's an opportunity. Here's a uh, here, here's a ladder on the rung uh, to get on with the, with the Phoenix while they play in Australia for the next year. So I think that will be an issue. Um, I, I'm interested to know how that connection between New Zealand football and the Phoenix works because obviously the Phoenix, uh, sorry, the, the uh, New Zealand football have sponsors for uh, the football ferns. Um, so whether or not they can transition the sponsor across, and then how does that money get divided up, and does New Zealand football lose out? You know, there are all those kind of conversations. But I know that uh, both parties want to make this happen, want to make it successful and viable. So. I don't doubt that it will go ahead at least for the next two years, but beyond that is the question mark because that's after mm. the Women's World Cup here, which is why this team has been has been created and, and come into fruition. And you'd hate to see that fall away after something as big as the Women's World Cup. So beyond that is where they need to really look. Okay, um, just finally, uh, an interesting issue that uh, we've featured on the news uh, two or three times this morning, I've heard. Um, and it's a social issue as opposed to a footballing issue. It's uh, A-League uh, player, Adelaide United midfielder Josh Cavallo uh, has come out and said, hey, I'm a footballer and I'm gay. Um, all I want to do is play football and be treated uh, treated equally. Now, um, I, I would have said 10 years ago that would be quite big, quite huge. Uh, is it still, I mean, uh, aren't, we, aren't we not past that now? Well, I think we should be past that. You know, I, I saw some comments last night on social media that said, 
you know, this is amazing, but it shouldn't be. Um, <laughs> you know, if, if, you, if you get mm. my meaning, it's like this should be. Yeah. This should be just, just you know, does it matter what someone's sexuality is uh, when they're a professional sportsman or when they're anybody? You know, what's that got to do with anything or anyone else? So, um, yeah, I think you're right, Smitty. I mean, it's it's an indictment of where we still are as a society that this gets treated like it does when it should be normal. Um, uh, but it's not yet. And I think, you know, from a competitive sporting environment, particularly, Smitty, you know from competing mm. against Australians how savage they can be. Uh, and you don't want to give them anything in terms of being sledged on the field, right? Um, so, and this for so long has been a taboo and it's been an easy go-to. I mean, you know, when you still see um, they're having problems with racial abuse in Australian in, in Australian games like, you know, um, a- AFL particularly and, and rugby league, then being gay and being on the field is just you're opening yourself up to another line of abuse. So it's taken a lot of bravery from Josh to come out and, and do this because I'm sure he's just waiting to cop it. If not from the players he's playing against on the field, mm. then from the fans on the sta- in the stands. And, and that's what I think has held back people for so long, athletes particularly. Yeah, I, I take your point. Um, and um, it's an interesting thing to do that and, and to come out... Uh, Loud, loud and proud before the season starts because I, I think you're getting. I think that's a wise move because you're not, you know, you're not um, putting yourself under pressure in a playing situation like you're playing this weekend or something on a match of, of substance. So uh, I, I think that's a good move. I, I really do, and mm. I also believe that um, if uh, Josh Cavallo was part of uh, an Adelaide United franchise that um, gets through to the final of the A League and he's outstanding in it and scores the winner, I'm not sure anyone would. Give a damn, to be honest, uh, particularly in Adelaide. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, anyway. mate, exactly. You know, you should be judging ju- judging the guy for what his ability on the field is, not for uh, what his decisions are off the field in the bedroom. Mm. Yeah, absolutely right, uh, Ricardo. Uh, thanks very much for your input. Love catching up with you um, every week on Footballing Matters, and uh, good luck with uh, your... Um, I know you have um, Thursday off, um, so this is a bit of a downtime for you, but um, good luck with the shows coming forward, man. Yeah, thank you very much, mate. Uh, yeah, looking forward to getting back into it with Grant Elliott and McCarty on Saturday on the Saturday session. You had to go with Izzy, uh, by the way. Were you exhausted after carrying Izzy the other day? <laughs> no, mate, he was great. He was great. To be honest, I, uh, I said that was easier than doing nights, to be fair. I, I, there's so many hands there. It makes light work, Smithy, doing breakfast. Cast a thousand. <laughs> Cast a thousand. So, uh, um, yeah, well, we, we won't say anything more about that. And they seem to get the perks too, uh, Ricardo. But, well, hey, we're old pros. We'll just carry on, mate. We'll just carry on. Thanks just for your time on, this morning, mate. mate. Down, bum up. Yeah. No worries, brother. Yeah, cheers. Yeah, cheers. Uh, 11.19 here on SENZ. We've got uh, Pacing for Purpose coming up. Uh, that, of course, is uh, our uh, pacing competition we have uh, in between the shows and uh, uh, each week we have 50 bucks to place on a harness race. We'll come up uh, with our horse very shortly for you. And any proceeds that we win, we've got a little bit in the pot, uh, we'll be going to Women's Refuge. That's uh, our charity of choice. Uh, also, double eight, double three. as I keep saying, get in. Uh, get in and try and win a temper pillow. Um, there's a lot of things we, we can be discussing. Bodie Barrett, should Bodie start um, sentimentally uh, his 100th test or should he come off the bench and... Um, uh, you know, should we just say, look, after 99 tests and some of the greatest performances in number 10 and some of those great performances off the bench, remember the World Cup final when you're on your feet, when Bowden Barrett um, uh, chased that kick from Ben Smith 
and it confirmed that we were going to be the world champions. Remember the commentary. Remember the elation when Bowden Barrett it was chasing. Uh, do we owe him something? Or do we just say it's a test match? It's a test match. It's a test match. And come off the bench. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Double eight, double three. Get involved and get lucky with temper. On SENZ. Get Nasser on the phone. He is in another orbit. Lazarus does it again. SENZ is pacing for purpose. Thanks to Harness Racing New Zealand. And thanks to Harness Racing New Zealand, of course. Uh, uh, they are, are great supporters of the show, hrnz.co.nz. Uh, that's where you can get hold of them if you uh, want to live the dream, get involved in the harness racing industry. And the, the competition they've got uh, amongst our various shows is uh, that they give us a horse or we select the horse each week. Uh, we put 50 bucks on it and the proceeds goes to a charity of our choice. And as I said, ours is Women's Refuge. Uh, tomorrow, uh, our tip is uh, going around at Methven, around about uh, 11 minutes past four. It is race four, and it's number one, Franco Cornell. Franco Cornell uh, is uh, our tip for pacing for purpose this week. And, Smithy, uh, and on that subject... I've got yes? the uh, rundown, which I always need help with, and it's that word that you hate as well is involved in this. The comment on Franco Cornell, or Cornell, Cornell well overdue yep. some luck. And gets it with the ace draw here. Can pay the believers. Can you uh, kind of give me the wrap there? Okay, it's drawn one. So that's on the inside. Drawn number one, drawn the ace, which means that it has a clear run to get to the uh, inside part of the track if it starts and it starts well. So that's a really good sign. What they're saying is it's had some bad draws in its recent races and hasn't been able to get into a favourable position in the race. So therefore, hasn't had luck at the crucial stage of the run. So... Basically, that's what they're saying there. Uh, they're saying uh, if the horse is good enough, lo- luck won't be a factor tomorrow uh, in that race. So that is the good thing. Pay the believers. Pay the believers, John, is pay the people back for those who have invested uh, in <laughs> right. Franco Cornell in those races when it hasn't had any luck. So pay the believers. Uh, they're saying get on, stay with it. Um, and uh, one of my other sayings, favourite sayings in racing, not as uh, f- uh, that one, forget it went round. Well, you, if you're a believer, you will, and you'll be on. So good luck. Good luck tomorrow. Uh, just after 4.11 tomorrow, race for Methvin, Franco Cornell, number one. Uh, and on that subject too, uh, a text has come in uh, saying, look, hey, Smithy, 16 races at Kaikoura Trots on Monday uh, run at Addington. Must be a record. 16 races uh, on the Trots. Well, uh, will it be run at Addington? All eyes, all ears are on Christchurch all of a sudden. Uh, without cases for well over 300 days. I've been invaded with a couple of cases <coughs> clearly brought down from Auckland, uh, and uh, it looks like um, there'll be some interesting decisions made around that. Uh, could one person coming down uh, with a negative test but unvaccinated uh, dictate the future of uh, all Canterbury and all Christchurch and all the, the retail, etc., and life down there? Um, could they dictate that? Uh, we'll see in the next 24, 48 hours. Uh, other texts that have uh, come through, um, Nev has come in and said, Hey, Smithy, I find it ironic that South Africa direct their players to take a stance on racism uh, when they have a quota system in place for selecting their sporting teams, which is effectively the same thing, I guess Neville's pointing out. Uh, you must pick X amount of players not on ability as such. Uh, we've seen that. Uh, they've lived with it. I mean, they've become the world rugby champions. Uh, by picking um, players of 
mixed race and doing very well at it. So it's worked there, but there's obviously an issue now with this uh, Quinton de Kock saga, uh, which has not died a natural death and won't. Uh, believe me on that one. Uh, Jamie, Bowden should start at 10. Moonga is a flat track bully. Goes missing when the game, uh, when going backwards. Interesting. Uh, Craig from Bay of Plenty says, Hi, Smithy Bowden shouldn't start just because it's his 100th. The starting first five should be selected on merit, not sentiment. And that might be Bowden. But if the balance is better with him on the bench, so be it. And that, I think, will be the attitude that uh, Ian Foster and Grant Fox takes. Uh, they take between them, I should say, uh, when it comes to that. It is time, folks, uh, for the news. And it's also time to stump Smithy. 0800 150 811, your chance. It's a money from the TAB. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Smithy, you've just given me some info on our horse that we're going on the pacing for purpose just before we get to the quiz. Um, how much is it paying for the win? It's paying 90 cents. <laughs> so that's, I mean, I don't even check the market. But I didn't pick the horse. We had it recommended to us, and I've taken this, these people's word for it. Uh, but it'll drift. I mean, it'll drift out. All right. It's not going to pay 90 cents. It'll pay at least a dollar. So we should pay a dollar yeah. five at least. You should get some return for winning, uh, but we don't do it that way over here. But anyway, uh, it'll pay more than that. All don't right. worry. All right. We'll keep an eye on it. Well, at least, John, we have 50 bucks to give to the cause at that rate. Yeah, that's what it's all dollar. about. It's been a couple and of weeks since I think we've had a win. Exactly. Awesome. That's and giving things about. away to people, to our listeners, is also what it's all about. And this morning, we're giving away 50 bucks from the TAB and also some daytime revive from Sleep Drops, New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep industry support supplements. And we're going to Morinsville, and it's Chris. G'day, Chris. Morning, lads. How are you, mate? How's Morinsville? Oh, not too bad. She's yeah. a bit overcast, but uh, we're, taking, we're getting by. We're yeah. level two, so we're sort of functioning. Oh, nice. Nice. Good to hear. Um, you know how the game works. Three sporting categories. You choose one, get three right. You win those prizes, but get one wrong and Smithy can stump you and you can leave with nothing. Yep. All right. Good as gold. So how do you go with either Formula One, basketball or cricket? Oh, I'll try basketball. All right. Why not? Tis the season. Have you followed Stephen Adams to the Grizzlies or have you got another team? Nah, I just sort of follow Adams, to be fair. I don't really have a team, I just keep an eye on it. Fair enough. The big man's going well early on as well. It's great to see. Great to see a New Zealander in one of the greatest competitions on earth. Anyway, your first question is, who scored the most points? Who is the record for scoring the most points in a single NBA game? Uh, big Will. Will Chamberlain. That's a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, and away it goes. Wilt Chamberlain, exactly right. Well done to you, Chris. Smithy, would you have got that one? And how many points did he score in a single game for oh, that record? Ridiculous. I think he got close to 100. I, 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 it's a ridiculous amount. Uh, these days, uh, they say if you can get 45 to 50 points because of the standard of defence, etc. Um, but he was unguardable during that time, Wilt Chamberlain, Wilt the Stilt, they called him. How many points, John? Exactly 100, Smithy. So you're on the money this morning in 1962. So before three-pointers or anything, 100 points for Wilt Chamberlain. Amazing. All right, Chris, question number two. Who was the number one draft pick in 2003? 2003. Yeah. Um, LeBron? Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes.
18 season on, Smithy still doing the damage. He was in your Mount Rushmore for over 35 athletes, and fair enough. Amazing that he was yeah. number one in 2003. That's a long time ago. It is a long time ago, and he's uh, he's handled himself particularly well throughout his career. Uh, gone to a number of uh, franchises, of course, uh, went to Miami, and uh, then he came back uh, to Cleveland with a purpose to win an NBA title, and at the end of it, when they did, he said, this is for you, Cleveland, and they went absolutely yeah. nuts within and outside the stadium. Uh, still playing, of course, for the Lakers, but not playing at the moment, so we'll see. No, no just on, on a side note, how do you think he's going with Russell Westbrook, Smithy? Who would go with Russell Westbrook? I mean, Russell Westbrook would be one of the hardest people to put alongside any team. I mean, you know, he, he just should be playing one-on-one in some street, I reckon, Russell Westbrook, because he doesn't like letting anyone else have the ball. He doesn't like anyone else getting the numbers. Yeah. He's just that kind of player. So, um, look, I'm not a Russell Westbrook fan. I'll, no. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Loves padding his own stats, doesn't he? Loves a triple-double. And, Chris, you're loving your basketball at the moment. You're two from two, so one more, and you'll get the sleep drops, and you'll get the 50 bucks from the TAB. Last question. Kobe Bryant's regarded as one of the greatest ever to play for the Lakers, but which team drafted him? Oh. Oh. Uh, nah, which team drafted him? Yeah, way no. back in 96. Oh. <laughs> It'd be a pure guess, I'll go um, the Denver Nuggets. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. It is one of those stab in the darks kind of questions, Smithy. Chance for a stumping and to jackpot it to tomorrow. Okay, you know, what I'll say here is he's probably the number one pick or very close to it. I don't know. But at that point, they gave, uh, and they still do, give it to the sides that are struggling a wee bit right down the bottom of the pecking order. So it's not going to be a top level one uh, franchise, I'm saying. Uh, And I don't even know if these guys were a franchise way back then. But I'm going to say Sacramento, the Sacramento Kings. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. I like your train of thought, Smithy, but it was to the Charlotte Hornets, 13th overall in 1996, and then they swapped the the Lakers for that pick for Vlade Divac. So that's how Kobe Bryant ended up at the Lakers. And that means, uh, Chris, from Morrinsville, you got the question wrong, so no sleep drops for you. Uh, But you do get 50 bucks from the TAB. Well done. Oh, well, I'll take the win by default. Yeah. Yeah, you've got to take any win you can <laughs> yeah. these yeah. days, mate. Yeah, well, if, I, if I check it on take. your um, harness pick, does that mean I'll have to pay the TAV five bucks if it gets in? <laughs> Under those rules, yeah. Hey, uh, on the maths you do, uh, you're absolutely right. But having said that, having said that, Chris, I think the regulations now are that you have to at least give you your dollar back. So um, don't, put it, don't put it on my multi or Brian's multi. You make your own mind up because... <laughs> because we're uh, our strike rate is so damn average in that department, so and maybe I don't know. You might get a dollar five for putting it on the All Blacks, mate, and that's a profit. So hey, good luck with what you do. Congratulations you on your win this morning. Stay, yeah, on, stay on the line, Brian. Brian will get your details from you. So uh, all good for you. Eleven thirty-eight here on SENZ. Uh, Staffy not far away as we charge towards uh, the new the news at midday and the afternoons with Staff. Stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, a cross section of uh, thoughts in the latest uh, batch of texts. Uh, you're going to have to talk to Kirsty Smithy. Uh, the Real Bay was mentioned in her self opinion ad for her show, clearly masquerading in drag as the Bay. She uh, real re- recognises the Bay of Plenty. So, yep, we'll uh, 
We'll be giving uh, Kirsty a, a, a jolly good rap over the knuckles and uh, the proverbial wet bus ticket treatment for that. Uh, I think uh, they will not. Uh, they will regret not taking Tom Latham over there to the T20 World Cup. Yeah, we, we touched on that yesterday. Uh, I don't think that is. Um, uh, well, they looked at Tom Latham, and, and Tom Latham's such a, a powerful and, and integral part of most squads that he plays for. But they just feel at this time that uh, that's not his form, and and I guess. Uh, they wanted him to concentrate on uh, the 50-over version of the game uh, and the test matches where his record is, is really becoming quite fantastic. So, um, yeah, he uh, Tom Latham did intimate to us that he would be still keen uh, going forward to, to take part in T20 cricket. He plays for the Canterbury Wizards in that form of the game. But uh, at this point, uh, I think they've pretty much got those bases covered uh, in that department. they just got to play Conway with the gloves. They just have to, for me. This is a must win. This is this is actually not mucking around um, because if they lose this, I don't see any way out of it. And whilst uh, um, we had Grant Elliott on this morning to say, well, there's still, uh, of course, Afghanistan in the group and they could be dangerous. Uh, I don't believe they're dangerous to Pakistan. I do not believe they're dangerous to India. They could be dangerous to us if they get on a surface uh, which is uh, conducive to their spin bowling departments because they've got one or two absolutely world-class exponents. They're more dangerous to us than they are to Pakistan and India. That would be a massive upset if they beat either of those sides, which means we have to win. We have to beat India, otherwise we'll be chasing it. And I don't see us chasing it too favourably. And that's a glass-half-empty look at it, uh, but that is the nature of this draw, and it's very, very punishing early on. Uh, congratulations to Viren Russell, 40 years supporting Hawke's Bay Rugby and going strong. That's uh, from Stephen, so uh, yep, good on you. Um, and you're having a great year this year uh, to support uh, the Hawke's Bay, aren't you, with uh, their, their play and, and defending the Ranfilly Shield, of course. And, and now we're into this uh, scenario where they could, could in fact, be uh, dual winners because they're uh, leading the Premiership race uh, and they're, uh, I think, already guaranteed of getting a home semi-final. And it's pretty hard to win at McLean Park. They've proven it this year. Uh, John's come in and said, look, in my early, I'm in my early 60s and heard about Josh from Adelaide United coming out as a gay player. I can't understand why this is even news. Who cares what sexual orientation someone is? We live in an inclusive society these days. He's good enough to play top-level sport. That's good enough for me, and it's good enough for me too, John. I totally agree with you. Um, and uh, I, I think 10 years ago, it would have been a massive issue, particularly you know, when you look at very passionate football crowds, uh, even around Australia, they're very passionate. I've witnessed that. And, you know, you can be particularly insulting. They talk about racial abuse in football, and it's still very apparent around the world, and that's extremely, extremely frowned upon, and so it should damn well be. Uh, that sexual orientation thing uh, would also have been one 10 years ago. Will it be? Uh, this is a bit of a test case. I'd be very surprised and very disappointed and the way that, uh, as you say, we're a, a much more inclusive society, that that was the case, John, but uh, I, I guess it, it possibly could be. Um, yeah, and um, I, I didn't really expect it to, to make the headlines that it has. Uh, you're, a, you're a reporter um, as well as a, a producer. You're in the media. Is that a kind of story that seizes headlines these days? Well, it does because he's the only one in the whole world of professional men's football that has come out as yeah, openly right. gay, which is just yeah, astounding right. to me. Um, that the, he's the only one. Like he can't be the only one out of all the 
thousands, probably tens of thousands of professional footballers around the world. Um, and it's simply because the represent, representation isn't there, Smithy, I guess, and um, they don't feel safe enough to come out, especially in some parts of Europe. Absolutely. Like, this is a global game around the world, and we are quite progressive down here in New Zealand and Australia in the A-League. Um, I mean, mm. I'm a Manly fan. Ian Roberts came out as openly gay in the 90s. It's it's old news in terms of that, but you just don't see it. We've never had uh, openly gay all black. Um, there's, there's one professional footballer currently playing who's uh, brave enough or, I guess, uh, feels secure enough to come out as gay. So that's why I think it's making headlines, Smithy. Not that anyone's surprised. It's just the thing that's surprising for me is that there's only one in the whole entire world, which is I hope we can get to the point where it doesn't make any headlines and your sexual orientation doesn't matter. But well done to him because there'll be a lot of other people, I'm sure, Smithy, who are gay playing football will go, OK, he's done it. He's, he's a pioneer in that respect. Now I can come out and follow. So it makes it safe for other people. So that's why I think it's made headlines. Jared tried to call before and he couldn't get through, so he sent a text and he said, Hi, Smithy and team. Could someone please thank Brian, the TAB, paid my bonus bet Tuesday. Thank you very much. So there you go. Um, Brian, you've done uh, Jared a favour down there, and uh, Jared comes in from Christchurch. How about this remarkable story uh, out of the World Series Game 1 yesterday? Uh, Atlanta Braves uh, had a starting pitcher by the name of Charlie Morton. Uh, he, uh, he was on the receiving end of, uh, of a hit that came back at him around 102k. They, they mapped that out. It struck him uh, on the right fibula, and it was fractured. Uh, this is Guriel from Guriel, who's very powerful hitter uh, from the Astros. So it went straight back at him, uh, and it hit him in the leg, and it uh, actually broke his right fibula. He didn't know that at the time. He went down and just gave it a bit of a rub. I saw this happen, uh, and then uh, around about 16 pitches later, um, he threw a curveball to uh, Jose Altuve, and uh, he he fumbled. Uh, st- sorry, stumbled and started to fall. He braced himself with both arms, and at that point they all said, oh, there's something not right about this. Went back and reviewed it, and yeah, it hit him with a real velocity. Actually broke his, it broke his, uh, his fibula, John. It broke his right fibula. Uh, so that will become, and because of the fact that Charlie Morton was the starting pitcher, they won game one, uh, and he had them at that stage, uh, had pitched a, a no-run game. He will go down in one of baseball. It's the, it's the sport that has probably the most folklore about it. He'll go down as a famous man, the Charlie Morton, pitching with a broken leg. Yeah, and getting three more outs before he realised. That is one of the... Cl- I love stories like that in sport. Um, one of the things that comes to mind, I think it was a Shell Cup final um, between Canterbury and Wellington at Lancaster Park, and um, I think Gavin Larson split his webbing. Is that correct? Right. And then had to bat... With one arm, the other arm in a sling, with a young Chris Keynes bowling about 140 kilometres at him, uh, with Wellington trying to win that final. I don't think they did, um, but it's just those remarkable stories. And All Blacks, there's plenty of them. The Buck Shelford one, which we don't need to talk about, but those stories in sport are just brilliant, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Um, folklore. So Charlie Morton will go down into folklore. Uh, game two again uh, this afternoon, and uh, it's a must win, really. I think, for the Houston Astros and Dusty Baker as their manager. So uh, we will uh, take a a really short break now and then uh, we'll come back with Mark Stafford before midday uh, to talk about what's in store on his show this afternoon.